Blog Talk Radio. For the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. In my mind. What a joyous day. 
Merry Christmas from the Temptations. Because if it had not been for you, we would not be here. We opened our eyes this morning, God, because you gave us the strength to open our eyes. We were able to rise because you gave us strength and our limbs and the facilities of our body. We were able to get here, God, because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety and did not allow harm to come to us, Lord. We're grateful to again come into your presence because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And as we come before you today, have your way, Lord. Let flesh be crucified that you might be glorified, that your people might be edified in the name of Jesus. For God in you is life. And that's what we seek, God, life, eternal life, God. We pray, oh God, today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you, Lord. Bind the hand of the devil, God. Rebuke the hand of the enemy, Lord. God, let your anointing that resonates in this place even now. God, let there be an outpouring on your people. We need you, God, to take us to another level in you, Lord. God, we're faced with demonic forces, God. Evil spirits have come up against us, Lord, and we need to be fortified with your power. God, we can't make it on our own strength, God. We don't have enough to stand on, Lord, but we know, God, that your joy is our strength. Fill us up on today in the name of Jesus. Somebody have come this morning burdened down, God, with the issues of life, God. Somebody, God, is in the battle of their life. Somebody's, God, fighting in their mind and in their spirit, Lord, where the devil have come in to war against them, Lord. But we thank you, God, because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world, God. We know, God, that you are a deliverer, Lord that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're no short of your promise, Lord. And you're able to deliver us, Lord. Touch us on today, Lord. We need you like never before. Fill us up with the Holy Ghost, God. And give us a refilling, Lord. That when we leave here today, Lord, we can leave with your anointing, Lord. That as we meet men and women, boys and girls, they might be converted to know who you are, Lord. In the in the name of Jesus we pray. We thank you because you are a healer. You're the God that healeth thee. And healing is in your wings. And you're able to touch our feeble bodies. You're able to save our troubled souls. And in the name of Jesus, bind every demon, Lord. Every demonic force, Lord. God that comes to keep us in the same place, Lord. We're willing, God, to surrender and say yes to your will, Lord. We're willing to turn our lives, God, over into your hands, Lord, because we come to the place, God, where we realize like never before we need you, Jesus. More than anything we know, we need you, Jesus. While men are trying to find God, solutions to this chaotic world, God, we're looking to 
you, Lord, because we know for every right desire, there is an answer. And Jesus, you're that answer. There's no need for us, God, to turn hither or thither, Lord. We need but to look for you, Lord, because you're the answer, God, for our troubled lives, Lord. Touch on the day, God. Break every yoke, oh God. Save on the day, God. Deliver on the day, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your will, God. Yes to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise.
spreading the love worldwide. www.jesusinthemorningradio.com My parents were pretty strict, like they were super loving and they did the best that they could. I just felt like they were just imposing rules on my life and trying to take away my fun. Now I started to believe that God was the same way. I decided I'm going to live life my way for my happiness because I'm clearly missing out and I will deal with God on my deathbed. I was living the life that the world promised me was happiness and fulfillment. I was making tons of money, going to the hottest parties, And by the end of being in that environment for one year, by the end of the year, I realized that it was totally empty. I moved back to Colorado and my older brother and his wife, they started pursuing me with the love of God. I asked them, why did Jesus have to die? And it was in that moment I realized that he did that for me. I said, God, take my life. It belongs to you. It's yours. My story begins um, when I was two weeks old. My parents separated. Um, My mom wasn't capable of being a mom, my birth mom, and my dad got full custody of us, and he ended up getting remarried when I was five years old to my brother's kindergarten teacher, um, who's my mom today, and she knew Jesus. And she loves Jesus, and she actually ended up sharing the gospel with my dad, and um, and he was saved through that relationship. And they, like I said, they ended up getting married when um, I was five years old. My brother was seven, and I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a loving, um, hardworking Christian home. And I had always been told my whole childhood that Jesus, loved me and that he died for my sins. Um, But it never meant anything to me. I just heard it over and over again. Jesus died for your sins. He died for your sins. We went to church every Sunday. I went to private Christian schools. But like I said, it never meant anything to me. And in eighth grade, actually, um, was the first time that I had someone come into my life It was a childhood friend. She had been transferred into the school that I was going to, and she was rebellious against God. And I admired her. I idolized her. I wanted to be like her. I wanted her life. And I remember one day she asked me, is God really good? Because from what I can see, your parents aren't super great. Uh, Your life isn't really that great. And that was the first time that doubt was planted in my heart that I didn't really want anything to do with God. And my parents were pretty strict. Like, they were super loving and they did the best that they could. Um, But they were pretty strict. And I just felt like they were just imposing rules on my life and trying to take away my fun. And now I started to believe that God was the same way, that he was just trying to impose rules on my life and trying to take away my fun. So in eighth grade, I decided I'm going to live life my way for my happiness because I'm clearly missing out. And I will deal with God on my deathbed to make sure that I get into heaven. So from there, I started to rebel against my parents. 
secretly. I lived two separate lives. I was one person at home, and I was a completely different person around my friends. And this was all in an attempt to find love and acceptance from people. And at some point along the way, I started to believe that who I was wasn't enough. And I would say that was probably around eighth grade with that that same uh, relationship that I had, that who I was wasn't enough. I didn't wear the right clothes. I wasn't, the, the way that God created me to be wasn't enough. And I started a journey of trying to become whatever my friends and peers around me wanted me to be in order to be loved and accepted. And so I naturally went a direction of rebellion. So my attempt to find love and acceptance was to do all the things that you weren't supposed to do that you could get in trouble for. And so I started hanging around people that were doing drugs and drinking and, you know, were really turning me against my family, turning me against my parents. Secretly behind my parents' back, um, I started smoking cigarettes. I started drinking alcohol, getting drunk, you know, at parties. In high school, another relationship came along, another friendship that ended up introducing me, this person ended up introducing me into harder drugs. So this person was extremely lost as well. And I just kind of fell under her. And she introduced me to crystal meth. And so I started smoking crystal meth with her in really weird places and really dangerous scenes with older men. And I just kind of went along with it again, because I was just trying to fit in somewhere. Um, no, Kristen. Yeah. Two questions. How old were you when you started using crystal meth kind of for the first time? Yeah, that would have been my junior year in high school, so probably around 17. Okay. And before you move forward, could you kind of talk to me about what the relationship with your parents was like and why was it pushing you to this place where you felt like you needed to go to like harder drugs or even just a deeper rebellion? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So my relationship with my parents, I felt like they never understood me. Like they never really told me why I couldn't do certain things or why I shouldn't do certain things. They just said, don't do it because we said so. That was kind of the relationship we had. And we didn't really have an open dialogue in our home to like question or challenge things. And um, we, my family, we kind of put on this like happy face when we went into church that everything was okay, even though there were really hard, broken things happening at home. My relationship with my parents was very broken. I felt like they didn't understand me and that they were never going to understand me. And so we just clashed. So Kristen, take us through now you're using crystal meth. What did that begin to open up for you? What did your life begin to look like at that point where people, you know, trying to intervene? Did your parents ever find out? Kind of take us through what came next. Yeah. So nobody knew what I was doing except for my friends. <laughs> um, and that led to further disrespect and rebellion towards my parents to the point where once I turned 18, they kicked me out of the house. 
So once I turned 18, um, I showed up one day to my house and all my belongings were in trash bags on the front lawn (laughs) and the front door was locked and the key didn't work into my home. And the people that I was hanging around with, they, I could have broken in that moment, but they were like, it's fine. Get your stuff. Come with us. Like, it's all good. And so they, they kind of helped me through that transition. So now I'm living with friends. I'm trying to graduate high school. I was going to a private Christian school. And so my parents said, you have to pay for the rest of this if you want to graduate. So I had to get a job. Um, all the while, I was still doing drugs, partying, you know, that kind of stuff. But I did work really hard, and I ended up graduating from high school. Now, Kristen, take us to that moment where you found all your stuff, like, kind of on the street. What was, what were you thinking? What were you even thinking about God in that moment, um, as well as your parents, when you saw that they had kind of abandoned you? Yeah, so I wouldn't say my parents abandoned me. I was so toxic in the home and so toxic to our family environment that they actually, looking back, they did the right thing. They needed to kick me out. And I was never thinking about God. In that moment, that could have been a broken down moment for me of, oh, my gosh, I need to change here. But the people that I was hanging around with just kind of swooped me up and said, don't let this change you or drag you down. We will help you come live with us. I lived with a friend for a little while and then that didn't really pan out. So then my uncle, my dad's brother took me in. I was just kind of hanging out, not doing anything. And he told me, you need to get a job. You can't just be sitting around the house all day. And I didn't have a car. I had no money. So I just started walking to the closest business or restaurant to find a job. I ended up getting a job at a local restaurant and started making money. And in the restaurant industry, it's a pretty big party atmosphere and culture. Um, And so I just started making friends at the restaurant and would party after work with, um, with these people that I was hanging out with. And eventually that led to a party where I would then meet a future guy that I started dating who was doing heavier drugs like heroin and acid and and these types of things. And so I actually started dating him and it was a really toxic relationship. He didn't believe in God, but I always did. And our relationship actually came to a point where we were going to break up because of that. Even though I wasn't living for God, he was like, no, I, we are gods. And it was this really different belief system. And I was just like, that's crazy. Like, I can't, I'm not going to believe in that. And it actually ended up being like a sever in our relationship. But I continued to party with him. We continued to do drugs. We were just having fun, just living, making money, having fun. I started sleeping around, you know, um, not only with my boyfriend, but even if I was outside of a relationship, like I became very sexually active because again, I thought and believed that this is what guys wanted in order to like me and accept me. And so I gave of myself in that way. And, you know, and looking back, like that was pretty sad, you know, and pretty hard. The things that I allowed myself to get into all for, again, just trying to find love and acceptance. If I can go back a little bit at the beginning of my testimony, I shared that my parents split up when I was two weeks old. And I didn't realize this until later in my adulthood life was that my birth mother abandoning us 
is what fueled or helped lead me into a place of feeling unworthy and unacceptable and unlovable. These are the different things that I think impacted who I became in different ways. Now, Kristen, I understand that you weren't really following God. You had a concept of who Jesus was, but you hadn't given your life to him. Take me through up to the point where you had an encounter or maybe, you know, Jesus um, started to enter into your life and maybe things began to change. So at age 20, I moved to South Beach, Miami. The guy I had been dating, he moved out there, convinced me to move out there with him. And while I was out there, I was so attracted to what was happening down in South Beach. It looked so much fun. I was like, I have to be here. So I moved down there. And for the one year that I was down there, so from age 21 to 22, I was living the life that the world promised me was happiness and fulfillment. I lived right on the beach. I was making tons of money, going to the hottest parties. I loved the way that I looked. I was like, this is it. I have everything that the world has promised me is happiness and fulfillment. And that fun lasted for a little while. And by the end of being in that environment for one year, by the end of the year, I realized that it was totally empty and that nobody really loved me or cared about me who I was hanging around. I wanted to be truly loved. And I knew that even after all that I had put my parents through and put my family through, that they still loved me. And so I decided I'm moving back to Colorado because I want to be around the people who actually really love me. And so I moved back to Colorado and my older brother and his wife, they started pursuing me with the love of God. They never talked about God. They never talked about Jesus. They just wanted to be around me and hang around me. And they spoke life into me, something that I hadn't heard in any of the circles that I was around. People just tore me down all the time and made fun of me. And now I'm hanging around my brother and sister-in-law who are just building me up with everything. They're just like, wow, in all sincerity, you are just so pretty, Kristen, like even without makeup, you're just so fun. You're just so fun to be around. And all these masks that I had put on of this person that I had become to find love and acceptance started to come off. I started to realize I don't have to be Kristen that smokes cigarettes anymore. I don't have to be Kristen that knows drugs and knows how to do drugs. I don't have to be Kristen that will sleep with you. I can just be me and that's enough. And I was so attracted to that, that I didn't want to be hanging around any of the people that I was hanging around anymore. And so I just wanted to be with them. So wherever they were, I was. And so they were at Wednesday night Bible studies. They were at church on Sunday, you know? And so I was just with them all the time. And that's when God started to work in my heart and the Holy Spirit started to touch me. And I remember one day at church on Sunday, we were there and I was just there because I wanted to be with my brother and sister-in-law. And uh, I felt the Holy Spirit like come upon me. And I, I remember thinking to myself like, whoa, what is this? You know, shortly after that, I remember I was sitting on their bed one day. I'm 22 years old at this point. I asked them, why did Jesus have to die? I had been told my entire childhood, Jesus died for your sins, but I never understood why. And it was in that moment that God brought me to that moment 
and I asked them why did he have to. And they explained to me in a way that I could understand the way that God had set up this system of sacrifice and how if you wanted to be made right with God back in the Bible times, that you had to sacrifice a pure, innocent animal to make right make things right for the sin that you had committed. And that animal sacrifice could never be enough to make us right with God for all of the sin, um, past, present, future, in our lives, that Jesus came down and said, I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice so that you can be with me in heaven one day. And it was in that moment that it was my salvation moment. I realized that he did that for me and that he loved me that much that I said, God, take my life. It belongs to you. It's yours. And from that moment on, I was a brand new creation. Like the Bible talks about the old is gone. The new has come. I knew in that moment, from that moment on, that I was never going to have sex before marriage again. I knew I was never going to be doing drugs or drinking anymore. I knew that I was going to start dressing modestly because I wasn't dressing modestly prior to that. And that I had fallen in love with Jesus. And I just talked to him all the time and was just so desperate. I was like, God, just show me your face. You know, you're the first person that I talk to when I wake up every morning. You're the last person I talk to when I go to bed every night. Show me your face. It was from that moment on that everything changed. Now, Kristen, take us back a little bit to the moment you first felt the Holy Spirit. For people who have never experienced a tangible presence of God, can you just describe that to us a little bit? When I first felt the Holy Spirit come upon me, it was like tingling just all over my body. And this this powerful sort of presence is what it felt like. So now that you were saved and you were able to give your life to Christ, what was that feeling like? Did it increase? Did you get to experience God more even as you were asking him to kind of show himself to you? What was your life beginning to look like as you were saved? The biggest things that I can remember was that all of a sudden I had peace. I had never known what peace was. I never knew that I needed it or wanted it, but all of a sudden I was experiencing peace and joy. Could you go into a little bit more detail about what your life looked like after? Because now you're leaving this complete lifestyle of, you know, drugs and promiscuity, all these things. Begin to show us how did God transform that? Was it an overnight thing? You never touched those things again? Or was it a process? And can you take us through your process? Yeah. So it was an overnight thing. No more cigarettes, no more drugs, no more drinking, no more sex. That was that was a pretty immediate overnight thing. My language cleared up. All of a sudden, I was just full of joy, like I mentioned. And I started to become a better person overall um, that people started to notice at work because I was working at a restaurant at the time. I just wanted to live for God. I remember going into work and being like, I just became a Christian. I can't work Sundays anymore. Like, I'm, I'm going to church. And... I just remember being filled with the joy of the Lord and being set free. And I understood for the first time the words in the song from Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. And I I realized for the first time that God wasn't trying to take away all my fun. 
he was trying to protect me from all the destruction and the harm that that fun that I was trying to have brought to my life. Kristen, can you tell us a little bit about what your life looks like now? When was it that you got saved? 2006, I think. So it's been a little while that you've been walking with the Lord. Can you take us through what that walk looks like and where he's brought you to even today? Yes. So one thing I forgot to mention is that I developed an eating disorder throughout this whole thing. So when I was lost, super lost, just trying to find love and acceptance, I hated my body. I hated the way I looked. I hid behind tons and tons of makeup. And I developed an eating disorder because I believed if I was just skinny enough, then I would attract the right guys and the guys would want me. And so I was smoking crystal meth to be skinny, and I also had an eating disorder. And after I gave my life to Christ, all the drugs and, you know, abusing alcohol and that kind of stuff immediately went away. I had to say goodbye to that friend group that I was hanging out with, literally contact each one of them and say, I'm taking a different path in life, and we're not hanging out anymore. And the eating disorder behavior went away for a little while, but it came back. And I was so ashamed of that because now here I was thinking internally, oh, my gosh, Kristen, like you're a Christian. You shouldn't be dealing with this kind of stuff anymore. And I continued in secret that behavior for a while, for years, even as a Christian, because I was so ashamed. I eventually got to a place a few years after I gave my life to Christ where I was like, I'm done with this. I can't live this way anymore. I am a slave to this addiction because that's what it is. It's an addiction. And I remember writing in the little attendance pad on for church on Sunday, I have an eating disorder and I need help. And it was from that very moment that one of the pastors saw it and he got me connected with somebody in the church who had had that sort of same history too. And uh, she started meeting with me one-on-one in Starbucks, just a coffee shop. And she started to put God's word in front of me. And she would say, I want you to read out loud what God says about you. And as I did that, I started to believe what God said about me in his word. And that, in about a short span of about eight weeks, led to my complete deliverance of this addiction that I had had for so many years. And I had talked to other eating disorder counselors. To, to receive help from them. And they said that they have never experienced anybody receiving full freedom from this addiction, but God brought it to me in a very short amount of time when I filled my mind and believed his word about who he says I was. So take us into your life now. Has the Lord yeah. kind of put you into ministry or what are you doing um, for God now? Yes. So... I had, like I said, when I first, when God captured me and he pulled me out of the pit of darkness and put me on a hill and filled me with his light, I just wanted everybody to know Jesus. To this day, I just want everybody to know Jesus. But back then, about 14 years ago, those same deep-rooted insecurities that I had before Christ carried on into my life with Christ. As I was sharing Jesus with people at work and in my life, any sort of negative reaction or response that I received caused me to feel insecure and caused me to be silent. And so I never 
stepped into a place of sharing the gospel with people and giving them an opportunity to respond to Jesus, but I unashamedly lived my life as a Christian and started serving in youth ministry. Because of what I went through as a teenager, I wanted to help other teenagers not make those same mistakes and, you know, and help walk them through that. So for about the last 10 years, I worked with youth groups at, at whatever church I was at. And, and that was fun and it was fulfilling and it was such a cool opportunity to be um, a mentor to young girls that were struggling with different things and that I could help them with that. But looking back, I realized that that passion that God put inside of me the moment I gave my life to him, that I want everyone to know him, was actually God telling me that this is what I want you to do and how I want you to spend your time. I want you to go be my witness to the ends of the earth. And so for 14 years, I did not do that. I served in the church and mentored young girls and worked, you know, with other Christians in different ways, but I wasn't fulfilling what God is actually asking me to do. And so for the last year, about a year and a half ago, I saw a friend on Facebook standing on a stage in Africa with a microphone in hand, proclaiming the gospel to hundreds of African children below her, and they were all raising their hand to say yes. And it was in that moment that God reminded me, that's what I created you to do. And so when she got back from Africa, I was talking to her, and I was like, how did you get here? How did you, you know, teach me everything, mentor me? She took me under her wing for a little bit, Um, But she got busy with the call that God has on her life, and she told me that Christ for All Nations, an organization called Christ for All Nations, um, has an evangelism training called Fire Camp. And I went there in January of this year, and it was a one-week intensive training for people who feel called to be evangelists of the United States, which I do. And by the beginning of the week, I was scared to share my faith, didn't really know how to share the gospel in a clear, concise way. And by the end of the seven days, I was on a mic in the streets of downtown Orlando, street preaching and doing one-on-one evangelism. And it was in during that week that the lion that's inside of me was just released. And from that moment on, I have humbly repented that... I have not been doing what God has asked me to do. And he shared with me and he, and he showed me and he reminded me, Kristen, one day you will stand before me and give an account for your life. And are you ready to do that with the life that you've been living? And I realized no. And I, I remember I, I said, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me and allow my life to continue on for many, many years so that I can carry out what you called me to do many years ago. And so from that that moment on at the beginning of this year, that is what I've laid my life down to. Not only prioritizing being a mom and raising my, the disciples that he's given me within my family and loving my husband well, but that when we are out 
we are full-time Christians and we are sharing the gospel with the people that we meet at the grocery store who come across our path at the grocery store, at Walmart, at the restaurants, whoever's serving our table. And we're just excited to see where this goes because we believe that he's going to start bringing us people that want to be discipled by us. And so we've cleared a spot in our schedule ready for that, that as people come and they receive Jesus through our time with them and they accept the gospel, that we have a place for them to come and start discipling new believers. Kristen, who is Jesus to you? (laughs) Yeah, he's everything to me. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my best friend. He is my addiction breaker. He is the one that gives me my identity and says who I am. And like I said, he he took me out of a dark pit, pit and put his light inside of me so that I can shine for him and for his name uh, to, to all the world. What words of encouragement do you have for the people who may be watching who are doubting or may have the question, is God really good? Yeah, he's real. He is alive. And he is not going to force himself on you. He is standing at the door of your heart, knocking, waiting for you to open it to him. And can, and I just want to encourage anybody that's watching this that any life that you are living for yourself or apart from God, you are missing out on the most satisfying, fulfilling life that you could ever have. Do you have any advice for the people who are watching who feel like they aren't accepted or even worthy enough for the call that God has placed or given them? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Ephesians. I believe it's Ephesians 1, 6, and it says that you are accepted in the beloved. And that is a verse that I've stood upon and that I would encourage anybody to reflect upon is that he has made you acceptable. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the shortcomings or the things that you're struggling with even today. You can rest and know that you are accepted already by him just the way that you are. And I just want to encourage anybody that's watching this to ask God, go into the secret place and ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? Use me to the full. My life is yours. I lay down my will, not my will, but yours be done. And he will show you and begin to take those steps. He will use you in a mighty way if you are just obedient to whatever he's asking you to do. Kristen, do you have any last words for the people who are watching? I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to my story and my testimony. And I can humbly say that this is not about me. I just get to be his witness. And I just get to be another testimony of who he is and how he's worked in my life and that he wants to do the same, if not more, in yours. And so you can trust him with everything. He's a good father. And you can lay down everything, your worldly goals, dreams, desires. You can lay it all down and trust that whatever he has is way better than what you could ever go after or or try and pursue apart from him.
Kristen, we would love it if you could just pray for the people who are watching who may be connecting to any parts of your story today. Yeah. Father God, I just thank you for this moment. I thank you for the ways that you've radically changed my life and that you want to see other people who are struggling with the same things that I did or who are struggling with the same things that I did have recently, that you want to set them free of all of that. And that that I just pray, Lord, that this would be a moment, a moment where people who are struggling with addiction would say, I'm not going to live this way anymore, and I'm going to turn to you, God, and get help. And I just pray, Father, that anyone who is living for themselves, who is following after you, but living for themselves, that you have something more for them and that you've placed something powerful and a passion on our heart. And I just pray that from watching this testimony and from this moment right now, that they would forsake all of that and leave it behind and turn to you and give you everything, all of them, all of their life. You're so good, God. Thank you for the mercy that you pour on me and that you pour on all of us and that we can come to you and stand before you one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' mighty name. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below. There would be a spirit, which I know now to be a demon, over my body, compressing me, like holding me down. And I remember one of the nurses came over to me, was just horrified. Like, and she said something like, how did you wake up? We gave you so many drugs and that door was locked. And immediately I thought vibrating. These things have come to the surface and it just escalated. I was like rolling around on the on the ground like a snake hissing, all these different demons that were coming out. So uh, how about you introduce yourself and tell us where you're you from? Uh, my name is Daniel. Um, I'm originally from New Zealand and I've lived in uh, Australia most of my life, mostly Brisbane. I'm 31 now, married. And uh, I was saved about a year ago now. That's awesome. So when did you move to Australia? Uh, I was about five or six years old. I was very young. And uh, what's your, your recollection of why you had to move to Australia? Was there a reason? Yeah, uh, there was a few different reasons. My mum and dad were never really together. They had a bit of a relationship, I think, before I was born. There was lots of issues, actually, with my dad. Basically, he ended up you know, hanging around the wrong people in bikey gangs and stuff. And he blew up my mum's car. He, he got caught driving around with a shotgun and, you know, a bunch of stuff with drugs, obviously, and then ended up in jail. I think he was in and out of jail a couple of times. Uh, besides that, um, was that his family, not him, not my dad himself, but his family were all Jehovah's Witnesses. So that's basically what, what I grew up in in that side of the family. In that small town in New Zealand, basically, they, they're quite powerful people. They have, own a lot of businesses and they run the um, Kingdom Hall there, they call it, as the Jehovah's Witness religion. Basically, they spend a lot of time 
trying to indoctrinate me as a young kid into their religion of Jehovah's Witnesses. I remember sitting there as a young kid and just thinking like, like, surely this is all make-believe. You know, as a four or five-year-old, I'm like, even I could see that it just didn't feel right. It felt very staged. It felt very unnatural. It felt like there was no soul there. No, you know, it just felt weird. But, you know, they were my family, so I kind of went along with it. They were very nice to me. They were sort of overly nice to me. I think because a lot of them were trying to indoctrinate me and get me into the religion because with Jehovah's Witness, it's a very closed-off religion. Like, if anything, if you're not in the religion, you're not really supposed to be interacting with them. My mum was against the whole thing. You know, my mum was actually grew up, uh, she was adopted. Her parents that raised her um, were from the UK originally, so they had sort of a bit of, a bit of old school, maybe Anglican Catholicism influence. But I wouldn't say that they were overly religious or anything. I, I know that my, my grandmother did go to church every now and then, but I don't know too much about it, but I do know that she did practice some witchcraft, things with crystals, asking the spirits where to go, and you know, these kind of things. And I know my mum was brought up learning a lot of that stuff from her. So basically my mum was never really religious, but she sort of got into this new agey witchcraft type stuff from a young age as well. There, there was no compatibility between my mum's family and my dad's family, and it was always an issue. And then there was a few instances where my dad's family actually tried to kidnap me or, or just steal or take me away from my mum. It was getting really, really uncomfortable for my mum at the time. So her mum just passed away. My dad's family trying to take me off her. My mum was like, all right, we're going to Brisbane. Just didn't really tell anyone or not too many people. And then we packed our things, jumped on a plane, left everything behind. That was it. We didn't have anything. We didn't really bring anything over with us. And we went and lived with um, uh, my auntie for a little while in a small, I think it was a three-bedroom house with like six, seven people with very little money. And it was, yeah, pretty crazy. So I guess you moved to Australia to escape, um, I guess, the religion and the, your family and what they were all about. When you got here, tell us a little bit more about, I guess, what you experienced growing up as a child and uh, at this point, what is your view on who Jesus is? It was really hard for me to make friends and I just remember the first few years being a big struggle. No one really wanted to hang out with me or be, be friends with me. I do have some memories in school about what Jesus is and who Jesus is and what it's all about. Back from the family of Jehovah's Witnesses. They did talk about Jesus a little bit. They do have him in the religion. They don't believe he's the son of God or anything. So I didn't really know much. You know, I knew about like Noah's Ark and Adam and Eve and, you know, just the classics basically. But I remember growing up, uh, getting a little bit older, um, our school would hold Christmas plays and we used to go to the Christmas lights and the carols. And I remember as a young kid, I, I loved the carols. There was like uh, carols by candlelight. Me and my mom were some of my best memories as, as a young kid would sit on the hill like everyone would sit on the grass and they'd have carols and they'd talk a little bit about the story of Jesus and put on a play of like Jesus's birth and things like that and I remember that were, that were some of the warmest moments in my life. Maybe not very accurate to what actually happened with Jesus but it was something and uh, something looking back especially after I was saved I look back in those moments and I realized that they were the first moments that God was really starting to reach out to me and trying to show me who Jesus is. With the experiences that you went through as a child and kind of having some form of religion and starting to grasp life, how, how did your upbringing then shape you as a person growing up and maybe going into high school? And My mum, being a single parent, uh, was working you know, two, three jobs 
at a time, so bless her for doing that. But from a very young age, my sister and I were left home alone quite, quite regularly. And um, so I had to sort of grow up pretty quickly and learn to cook at a very young age. And I was really into like Japanese culture. Started watching like anime for the breakfast cartoons that were on before school and then started learning Japanese in school. And yeah, I, I took a lot of that in. I didn't really go to church or anything like that. So I didn't really have any religious foundations. And I remember in school, they started having RE, like religious education classes. And for, for whatever reason, I just didn't want to be involved. So I got a note from my mum to get excused from the class at like 10, 11 years old. And I was one of the only people in the school that just would sit out. I guess, look back at my memories from my childhood, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I was like, religion's not for me. I just don't want to be involved in any of this stuff. But spirituality, I was always a spiritual person. And there's a few reasons. So the Japanese culture had a bit of influence on me, like I said, and there's a lot of spirituality in Japanese culture which is heavily inspired by their religion Shinto, which is like uh, spirits everywhere and they can befriend spirits and they, they recognize these spirits a lot as demons, but they think they can befriend them because you can befriend your enemy in Japanese culture and things like that. I was also a very imaginative kid, being very shy, not having many friends. I spent a lot of time playing by myself. I would always like, you know, pretend that I had magic powers and, you know, got into the ideas of like witchcraft and stuff because a lot of the shows and video games I was playing were heavily influenced by magic. So I started imagining what life would be like if magic was real and I tried to sort of live my childhood as like magic was a real thing and how could I embrace it. And that actually invited a lot of spiritual experiences into my life ever since a young kid that were actually quite scary. So I remember there was sort of a tipping point when I was quite young, maybe 11, where uh, I was having very, very intense nightmares on the regular and it would cause me to be just depressed, sleep deprived. I would be crying for like hours and the neighbors would like call the ambulance and stuff and my mum never really knew what was going on but I was just having wild nightmares and being scared of things that just weren't there and a lot of people, a lot of adults think, oh, this is pretty normal for a kid, but mine was very, very extreme. And my mom didn't really know what to do, and she was sort of new agey, so she went out and bought me a bunch of, actually, she bought me three dream catches, like those Indian, American Indian dream catches. So I had these massive dream catches in my room, and my mom told me that this would help, you know, with the nightmares, and, and at first it kind of did. I think it was a bit of a placebo effect where I was like trusting in something and it was kind of working. But over time, it felt like it actually got worse. And then I started getting visited by what I assumed as a kid to be ghosts. I had these things actually come and visit me quite regularly. And I didn't talk about it much with anyone because you're always scared of being called crazy. But I had these things in and out of my life all the time from that age that would it, it would be very subtle sometimes I'd just you know turn off the light and I'd see a figure standing in the doorway and I'd try and just ignore it and go to sleep or sometimes it would interact with me especially as a young age in a almost sexual abusive way I have some pretty crazy memories of just being put into positions in my bed as like an 11 year old I don't know, didn't know that there was like sexual positions and interacting with something. And it was very, 
horrific. And uh, we actually had three cats at the time. And I think I would just bring the cats into my room. I felt like they would help me through that and help distract me from these things that were that were there. As I grew older, I was a very well-behaved, shy kid when I was young. But as I went into high school, I made friends with some sort of trouble, troublesome kids, I guess. We were all a bit of outcasts. And then I became quite rebellious very quickly. Also quite depressed too, because a lot of the time, you know, we didn't have money, we didn't have a lot of things. And I sort of blame my mom a lot for that, for not being more successful or, or choosing the right path or whatever. Obviously it's not her fault. She was going through her own stuff, but I did put a lot of blame onto her for that, which I have, you know, which I regretted. Because of that, I just spent a lot of time with my friends and we skipped school all the time. Uh, I remember my school had this policy where if you're, if your kid doesn't show up to school by 10 a.m., the parents get a text message to let them know. And I remember going into the office with a change of address when we moved house and I actually changed the phone number from my mom's phone number to my phone number as well. So whenever I didn't show up to school, I would get a text to my phone saying, your child didn't go to school. A lot of the times we would, you know, tell our parents we're staying over at each other's houses, but really we're just going out at like 15, we're just going to parties. We ended up going to these really, really big parties at 15, definitely places we should not have been at the time. At these parties, you know, there'd be a lot of older people, a lot of alcohol. We started drinking, you know, 14, 15. I lost my virginity at 14. And then at these parties, there was, a, you know, having a lot of sex, a lot of alcohol. Um, none of us were really doing drugs at the time, but we're just drinking a lot of alcohol. And there's a lot of bad influences, a lot of people, a lot of bad people that we're meeting. Later, as I started getting older, uh, as a teenager, my mom um, became Buddhist. She actually went to a Chinese Buddhist temple and started volunteering there. And she took some oaths. She took my sister as well. My sister took the oaths and they became worshipping, you know, at, at a Buddhist temple. I started, I guess, trying to put some of that on me and I just wasn't interested, but I, I liked the idea of the mysticism and the spirituality behind it. So she used to give me like these good luck charms and coins and stuff from Buddhist temple and I used to carry them around for good luck. And I didn't really know what any of it meant, but I was just like, oh, whatever, this is kind of cool, interesting thing. At this point, I started um, having more spiritual attacks where I start to have uh, sleep paralysis. So if anyone knows what sleep paralysis is, it's very intense where you, um, you're basically sleeping. Usually for me, I was having nightmares and then I would wake up. Your mind would wake up, but your body would still be asleep. So you cannot move at all and you're stuck in your body awake, fully awake, but not being able to move. There would be a spirit, which I know now to be a demon over my body, compressing me, like holding me down and I'd have different experiences, different types of demons come and do this to me, but it would be extremely terrifying. Like one of the scariest things that you could, probably one of the scariest things anyone could ever experience. And I know a lot of people do have this happen to them once or twice in their life, but for me it was actually quite regular, maybe once every few months. And because of those experiences, I developed insomnia, so I could not sleep at all. At this point I had become extremely rebellious, very depressed, kid, didn't believe in anything, was constantly haunted by these things, so I was in a really bad state. Uh, I used to make games and animations for this website, and uh, I started this like production company as like a hobby to make these things, and I called it 
Natas Productions, which Natas backwards is Satan. The reason I did that is because I started to really get into the occult. There was two reasons. One for spirituality. I was a very spiritual person. The second reason is because there's a lot of art, art in the occult. You know, you start learning about these things like sacred geometry and, you know, the art from centuries ago that was inspired by the occultism. And so I started really getting into like conspiracy theories and the occultism. And there's a lot of people talking about how they draw power from demons. They draw power from Satan and making, and you know, all the people in the music industry, like the Illuminati, like Jay-Z, they draw power from Satan and that's how they get successful. And because I grew up so poor, I was like, I'm going to be successful no matter what it takes because I don't want to live, you know, poor. I don't want to live without the lights on. I don't want to live without food. I want to be successful and not just successful, but I want to be super rich and powerful like Jay-Z. You know, that's what I was sort of being influenced by at the time. I started to draw from the power from these things and, and I was making things... And I remember like I'd stay up really, really late to like 3 a.m. every night making cartoons and games uh, inspired by Japanese culture and occultism. And I would feel the presence of these things in the room with me, these demonic spirits in the room with me, like just like whispering in my ear like, oh, what if you did this? What if you added this? It would be so much better if you put this in. And it was, that was scary, but it was working. So I was like embracing it and just trying to, at the same time, I felt brave. I was like, oh, look how brave I am. I'm dealing with demons. Like, how many people can say that they're, like, embracing demons? They're brave enough to embrace demons, you know? And that's sort of how they get you. And so I got really involved in conspiracy theories and the occult. And I actually, it was weird. It's kind of ironic because I hated the people who were successful, like the politicians. Like, I didn't have that success. And I was like, how do I get that? But I hated them at the same time for being successful, so it was kind of ironic. But yeah, I was really involved in media, making music and videos and animations, video games, and tying that to my spirituality. Uh, I started working f for a, a sales company. At this time, I was like 18, and uh, I was door-to-door -door sales, and it was commission only, so you only made money if you sold. And it was very intense and I wasn't making much money. And at this point, I was very into spirituality. Jesus was nothing in my life, no religion whatsoever. I was very, this, at this point in my life, I became very anti-religion. And I would just didn't want anything to do with any Jesus, any church, anything like that. So I'm doing this sales job and then I get moved into a different role where I'm doing you know, sales inside shopping centers in shopping malls. And I meet this girl and we start dating very quickly that I'm working with and we we decide to move in together into a share house. It was only a few months in that I found out she was cheating on me. And at the time I thought I was going to marry this girl. So I was so deluded. But I thought I was going to marry this girl. And so I got so depressed and she moved out and then I didn't know what to do. And I was super, super, super depressed. And this was actually the first time I tried to kill myself. So I drank a whole bottle of vodka and I took just a bunch of pills. I didn't even know what half of them were. I just scooped up a bunch of pills and just swallowed them and, and just locked myself in the room. Next thing I sort of know, I, I wake up, ambulance comes, the paramedics are saying stuff to me. I don't really know what they're saying. I remember one of the paramedics telling me that I was faking it and in my head I'm like, I'm definitely not faking it. Um, but a blackout and then the next thing I know it's like I'm in hospital 
so I wake up in the hospital, I'm in this private room and I have an IV, like a needle in my arm. I have tubes down my throat, down my nose. I have a bunch of diode things stuck to me everywhere. I remember waking up just like, oh, I gotta get all this stuff off me. Pretty horrific situation, but I pulled the needle out of my arm and then blood just started pouring out everywhere. And then I pulled the tube out of my nose, which was all the way down like in my chest. And that was like a horror movie moment, pulling that out and I'm bleeding everywhere and I'm pulling all these things off. And I have like those um, gowns, those hospital gowns on and I'm walking out and I open the door and I come out and it's like out into the main emergency department. There's like nurses walking, doctors walking around everywhere. I'm just standing there like bleeding like, ah, uh, can you guys call my mom something? I was like, I need my mom. I remember saying that. And I remember one of the nurses came over to me and was just horrified. Like, and she said something like, how did you wake up? We gave you so many drugs and that door was locked. And I was like, I don't know. And then they walked me back to the bed, patched me back up, gave me some more drugs, I've blacked out. And then I don't know how much longer it was until my mum came and picked me up. Um, and I had like a 15 minute counseling session, like, oh, are you still suicidal? And I'm like, I'll just lie to them. And I said, no, I'm fine. You know, I did something stupid, whatever. I'm not going to do it again. And they're like, all right, you're fine. Teach me out. And then I just walked out. And even I was surprised. I was like, really? I can't believe you guys just let me out. Anyway, my mum took me home. And then I started working at a bar. You know, I quit that job, obviously. Started working at a bar with one of my friends. I was having a lot of fun working at that bar because we were getting drunk every day. I was making a lot more money and hanging out with a lot of friends, made a lot of new friends, started to gain my confidence back. I started reading like self-help books and I was really getting over my shyness. I used to be a really shy kid, but I was reading these self-help books that would teach me to go out into a public space, approach a random group of people and see how long I could hold a conversation without, with them um, before they kicked me out of the group. So I remember when I first did it, it'd be like a minute and then I got it to like two hours or hours and hours and then I was just making all these new friends and it's really confident and I could talk to anyone. I was working at a bar, so sleeping with a lot of girls that worked at the bar and that would come to the bar and I was just, you know, having the life. But, I, but on the surface, people were, I think were really jealous of my life. I was a bit of a celebrity at this bar. It was the most popular bar in the city at the time. Um, but deep down, like I was still depressed still not sleeping, still being haunted by these demons and stuff. And then uh, a new girl started working there and she already had a boyfriend, but we hit it off straight away and started dating. She broke up with her boyfriend to be with me and we got very close. I was, uh, we were both very unhealthily obsessed with each other and um, we'd cheat on each other. We kept finding, finding out that we had been cheating on each other and we kept trying to make it work and it wasn't working. And it got to the point where I found out she cheated with one of my best friends at the time that I was living with, my housemate, my best friend at the time. And uh, she cheated on me with a bunch of my friends and I was so upset. And I remember confronting my friends about it and everyone I knew at the time took her side. And I know we had cheated on each other, but it was very obvious that what she had done, especially in my mind, was way worse than what I had done. She slept like with all my best friends and and no one wanted to be friends with me anymore. And they kicked me out. And I was so confused and I was so angry and so depressed and I tried to kill myself again. That was the second time.
again, drank a lot of alcohol, took a lot of pills and went to sleep expecting not to wake up in the morning. I woke up at like four, three, four a.m. projectile vomiting across the room with like blood and vomit and it was really bad. The whole room was just covered in like blood and vomit and I just passed out. And I woke up later that day, just like vomit everywhere and blood and I was like, I've got to do something about this. I was like, I expected to not wake up, I expected to die. I think back to that moment now and by the grace of God, he saved me. I know that he woke me up, made me vomit all that poison out to keep me alive because he knew that I would one day come to him and I just love him for that because otherwise I'd end up in hell. And so I hung out with my mom, I think it was that day or a couple of days later and I just told her what happened and she was crying and she told me she tried to do the same thing a few times when she was younger as well. So she understood, but she didn't know what to do about it. I said, I don't know, mom, I just need to get out of here. I need to get out of Australia. Can I just go back to New Zealand, stay with my dad's family? That was such a weird thing to say because I never felt like doing that. Or, But I just knew that they were a family. There was a lot of them. They had money. They were supportive. And I remember them being nice to me as a kid. So I was like, maybe I just, maybe I belong there. And this obviously really upset my mom knowing that they tried to kidnap me as a kid. But she was like, if it's going to stop you from killing yourself, then yeah. Like, I'll contact them. You can go fly over there, stay with them, see how you go. So I said goodbye to my mom and sister at the airport. They were both crying. I flew over there, went to stay with them. Obviously, being Jehovah's Witness, they were trying to take the opportunity. Oh, this is it. You know, they, they didn't try to force it on me. You could tell they were trying to slowly, like, indoctrinate me again. I think I had my 21st there, actually, so about 20. And uh, they don't believe in birthdays or anything, but my cousins took me out drinking that night anyway. I was working at this bar and I started dating one of the girls in the bar. Again, like just never learned my lesson. It's just the same mistake over and over again, but that didn't last long, maybe two months or so. And she started dating someone else without telling me and then just stopped talking to me. And so I got depressed again <laughs> and then um, went back to my family and they were just annoying me because, you know, trying to push the idea of their religion onto me and they were getting angry with me because I was doing all these things they didn't approve of, you know, I was swearing, drinking, sex, all this stuff. Um, so I felt, started to feel really awkward going back there. I was in New Zealand for a few months and then I was like, okay, I'm going back home. I came back and uh, started working at a nightclub and things were getting better started really getting back into self-help. I joined a gym, started going to the gym. I was getting really healthy. Yeah, I didn't work much, maybe only a few days a week. I was working in the cocktail bar and I was doing all the tricks and flaring and stuff and it attracted a lot of girls as well and started sleeping around a lot again. I was doing my media stuff on the side. I was making cartoons and video games again. I was, I was probably happier than I ever had been at that point. In my adult life, I was probably about 22. I was just trying to live a chill life after all the traumatic experiences and at this point I started um, smoking weed so me and my friends would you know go play basketball in the afternoon and then when the sun went down we'd stay at the park and just start smoking weed uh, you know every now and then and then it became very regular and then it became almost every night that we're going out smoking weed and talk about conspiracy theories and stuff we're all very into conspiracy theories. Do these friends have any faith or religion? What do they believe? Mm, some of them did, so some of them were 
from Serbia, and, uh, the Serbian Orthodox. So every now and then they talk about Jesus, talk about God. They sort of half believed or just, it was part of their culture, so they would talk about it. Um, one of my friend's older brother, you could tell he really believed. And he would talk about it with me every now and then. And we'd talk about conspiracies and then he'd bring up God and Jesus. And I'd be like, oh, come on, man. I don't want to hear about it. Let's just keep talking about conspiracies. But he would always bring up God and Jesus. And I hold on to those moments and I realize now, obviously, that's God re- trying to reach me again. I remember saying to them, like, I don't feel any connection to a God. I just, there's nothing there to me. Yeah, science, science definitely became my religion. I wouldn't have said that or admitted that at the time, but obviously, in hindsight, that was the case. And um, I started really getting into, like, quantum mechanics, quantum physics. I was like, quantum particles, you know, quarks and everything and string theory. And I was just like, spend hours and hours and hours every night after smoking weed just reading papers, Harvard papers and watching YouTube videos and I remember thinking I'm never going to go to university, I don't know why I'm doing this, it's just so interesting, I just want to learn about it and then you know find other people and start talking about it, start to get a bit antsy like oh I need to do something with my life and I started applying for sales jobs, I actually got a, a sales job at one of the world's biggest search engine tech companies and after about six months working there the manager was like hey like i'm really impressed with you how about you come move to melbourne from brisbane and um you know we'll set you up in the office and uh, i'll promote you to the national sales manager i was like yeah (laughs) that's awesome like i can definitely do that i drove down to melbourne i remember the people in the share house were smoking weed as well so i kept I actually was thinking maybe I'll quit weed when I moved to Melbourne, but the people in the share house were smoking weed, so I kept smoking weed. And um, then I met a girl there on a dating site. Yeah, she seemed very cool. She was a professional cheerleader, but I was just going along for the ride at the time. And then my my work approached me and said, hey, again, we're really happy with how you're doing. Do you want to move to Sydney? (laughs) And we'll sort of uh, bump you up a bit in the business again. I'm like, yeah, okay. Then not long after moving to Sydney, the work I was doing for this company started to fall through. They started to reorganize things and suddenly, all of a sudden, even though I was doing really well, there was no place for me. So I started looking for something else. I saw a news article, these two young guys had quit university and started this startup that I was thinking of. And it was like a Uber Eats style business where you can get anything you want delivered on demand. Um, This was before Uber Eats was in Australia. So there wasn't anything like this in Australia at the time. And it was modeled after a company in the US called Postmates. So we're like, all right. So I saw the article and I was like, hey, I already planned on doing something like this. So I sent them an email or a message on LinkedIn and we met up, told them about my experience. And they're like, yeah, all right, let's team up. So we started the business properly. We were in this shared office space with a bunch of other startups, really, really big startups. A lot of these big companies that we're surrounded in with our little tech startup and um, we didn't pay ourselves and we didn't have any money and we were just working all day, all night in the office and got to the point where my relationship with my girlfriend at the time had started to fall apart. And so I said, hey, I'm going to move out. She didn't take that very well. She wanted me to stay, but I just made the decision to leave. So I moved into the office actually. I started living in the office. So typical startup story where I'm sleeping on beanbags for four hours a night and working 20 hours a day. Through this company, we started meeting a lot of powerful people. You know, a lot of big tech people 
in Australia, a lot of overseas investment people, a lot of powerful investors from the mining industry and people wanted to give us money and we were competing in these startup challenges to earn investment money and so we're meeting a lot of really powerful people you know rich people with like tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars right so you've started this tech company you've started this company um you're starting to get involved with powerful people at this stage did you kind of know what that was because i know you were into a lot of conspiracy Mm. theories what was your take at that point in time with this you know, club, essentially. So I remember that when I had, before my startup, I kind of gave the whole conspiracy theories a rest because I was so focused on working. I started thinking, oh, maybe none of that stuff's real. So I kind of gave it a break. But then when I had this tech startup and I was working and I was meeting these people, I started to realize a lot of what they were talking about and a lot of the conspiracy theories were actually true. And at this point, it was quite a regular thing to go out drinking with these people doing cocaine with these people, a lot of drugs. We'd be doing a lot of drugs, you know, we'd be sitting in the office till late at night working and then someone would come, you know, an investor or someone would come with a bag of, a couple of bags of cocaine and we'd just be doing lines of coke off the desk. Very Wolf of Wall Street situation, we'd have girls come in, we'd be sleeping with girls in the office and just like crazy, crazy Wolf of Wall Street style life at the time and that started to take away from the business and um, we got to the point where we were just enjoying life as opposed to working. And we realized that at one point that um, the business wasn't gonna continue after about two and a half years because it was very difficult to actually raise the funds needed for this kind of business in Australia and even near Australia. And then at this point, a lot of the big billion dollar competitors started coming in, you know, Uber Eats came in, Deliveroo, all these other companies started coming in and we just couldn't face that competition. So we ended up closing down the business. But during that time, you know, we were going to secret clubs, secret events, you know, like I'm talking like really secret, like you go to a, uh, this building and then you go up an elevator and then you go down this dark hallway and then you would, you know, knock on a on a wall and then someone would let you in. And then, it, and I know there's a lot of like sort of secret clubs that do that as kind of like a uh, a novelty, but the kind of places we were going to were like the legitimate version of that, and very powerful people like politicians, celebrities would go here and they'll do like gambling, and there's like hot tubs inside, and hostesses that would come and get you anything that you asked for, like drugs, clo- like clothes, whatever you want, and this is where people would have their secret, you know, business discussions. We were sort of fish out of water, like we we were getting brought along to these things and when we were there we realized that we definitely shouldn't be there like if people knew who we were they would kick us out but we started making friends with the hostesses and the people that worked there so that even though we weren't coming as guests later you know we we ended these relationships with these powerful people but we kept going to the club because we knew everyone and we knew how to get in there and because they knew our faces like we'd just sneak into these places and that led to us realizing that because people knew us and we were on TV and all these things and people knew our faces that if we just put on a suit, we could walk into anywhere. So we used to, we used to go into buildings and press all the buttons on the elevator and then just see where we'd walk into every floor and we'd just start walking around businesses and 
and meeting powerful people just by doing that. And we weren't, you know, obviously not allowed to do that, but, and we're walking to secret meetings and stuff. And then we're, we're starting to like push it. How far can we take this? We used to sneak into their meetings, their conferences. And, uh, yeah, we just sit there and listen about what's coming, you know, some of their plans and they have guest speakers from around the world. And I remember one of them talking about a, a special type of weapons laser that they were developing. And we realized that if you just put on a suit, you could get in anywhere, you know, with our face. And, so we're not infiltrating these secret societies, but we're, we're sneaking into their meetings, we're meeting their people. And, and it wasn't until I started doing drugs with these people and started, you know, like spending a lot of time drinking with these people. And they started to, I guess, tell me a little bit more about the truth of what they believe and where they're headed. That started to worry me a little bit. Um, a lot of them are very much into occult stuff, you know, and a lot of the stuff that they draw power from demonic forces as well for success. I would say a lot of them don't actually know how real it is, but they still sort of get involved with this stuff. Some people do know how real it is and they just lean into it very heavily. And then there's the people at the top who sort of encourage everyone else to, to come into it and really, yeah, grow the sort of cultism that comes with this um, at the very top of, of the success ladder. And so it was almost like a a good thing for me at the time because it made me remember about back when I used to really invoke these things back when I did animations and stuff and how it was working so that sort of got me back into that and a lot of these people had sort of unraveled or revealed and told me things that they shouldn't have told me about where the world was going now this was back in like 2016 so 2016 2017 and they were telling me about you know the things that were going to happen soon so there's going to be a major event there's going to be um, you know, food shortages, there's going to be wars, there's going to be civil wars. There's a lot of the things that they were telling me uh, happening now. Because I had that heads up from them, I could see it unraveling as it was happening. And, you know, there's been so many people I tried to warn, but they just didn't get it because people are sort of living in their own world and they don't really, they didn't really have this heads up and nobody really wanted to believe what I had to tell them. But now we're yeah, very much in the midst of, of what's happening now. So I, I started working at a, a few different, a couple of different major tech companies, you know, uh, think of the world's most famous electric car company and then uh, the world's biggest online retailer tech company. So um, very much was being successful in, in my life at the time, like making a lot of money, doing things that no one else my age was, was doing I didn't even go to university either so just having the experience the knowledge and knowing the right people led me into to these successful roles and I started really invoking this spirituality a lot more on this sort of demonic presence more through like hallucinogenic drugs so I took LSD a few times and MDMA mixed in mushrooms and um, I would really have these spiritual experiences and be visited again by these things that I recognized from my childhood that would visit me back when I was a kid having these really intense nightmares and the sleep paralysis came back and but I felt the power that they were giving me it's like I would almost pray to them and they would answer my prayers and they would give me what I like ask for but it would always come with like repercussions or haunting you know some like evil presence coming around me and then I, I started getting back into 
making music. So I started rapping. I started making some some music with a friend who was also a rapper. He was actually really deep into it. You know, would smoke a lot of weed, would drink alcohol, and then we would would start making these songs. And the my SoundCloud would start to get really popular very quickly. And everything I sort of asked for was was coming true. It was working. And it would even get to the point. It sounds silly, but it would even get to the point where I'm making my music and I'm producing and I'm twisting all the digital dials and bars and everything to adjust the production of the music and it would just sound best if it was set to like 666 or something like that you know and then I'd be like no way this is a bit silly and I'd try and change the dials so they wouldn't add up to 666 but every time I change the dials it wouldn't sound right and then I'd hear this like voice or feel this presence in the room that I'd be like change it back to 666 and it'll sound the best so I'd change it back and then it would work. And, I'd, you know, it, it, that's like one little thing, but it was so many different things that sort of all added up that I realized how real this was. So it started to get really successful, um, but I fell into depression again. So we came into COVID lockdowns here. I was living in Sydney at the time and our lockdowns were really harsh. We weren't allowed to leave the house for more than an hour a day. And um, so I was alone in my one bedroom apartment. I had you know, everything I ever wanted. I had so much money. I, I owned everything that I wanted and I was so successful and getting more and more successful every single day. But I started to think, you know, like, you know, that saying and from the occultism and thinking back to Jay-Z about how you sell your soul to the devil. And I always thought that was metaphorical, but sort of had some truth to it. And then now that I was so involved in this demonic spirits, like I've come to realize, no, wait, this is, this is actually... This is real. And one of the things that they do, these demonic spirits, is they they constantly trick you into thinking that like, yes, keep drawing power from us, but we're not that bad. It's not that, what you're doing is not that bad. And we're not the demons from the Bible. Like we're mis we've been misrepresented. You know, there's some goodness to us or we're misunderstood. So that sort of keeps you like, oh, okay, they're not that bad, not that bad. Especially with like Japanese culture, like you can befriend them and, but I started to realize that like the further into the stuff that I got, the more evil and dark presence I, I, I could feel. So you found yourself in, in lockdown, you're pretty isolated. Sounds like reality was starting to set in on the things that you were experiencing. So what was like the tipping point for you when it all just hit you at once that something isn't right? What, what was that moment for you? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I started looking at where the world was going and um, just online, you know, researching stuff, what's going on. Like things, things, are, uh, things that are happening around the world are really weird. There's lots of earthquakes and stuff and I was trying to figure out what's going on. You know, a lot of the comment sections were actually people saying, oh, this is the end times. You know, Jesus is coming back soon. It's, it's Jesus is coming soon. You know, make sure you repent and blah, blah, blah. And I would always sort of just like ignore those comments before you know you always see those comments from people bible verses and prayers and stuff but i don't know i guess everything that was happening and i was alone and depressed and the world was crazy at the time and i was like okay i'll just pay attention to these so i started reading them planted a seed i guess i didn't really think about it too deeply i just sort of read them properly for the first time and planted a seed and and then I just got more and more depressed. And I remember there was one time I was, uh, I was walking outside, you know, on my designated one hour exercise outside the house. And I was walking and I couldn't even move my body. Like my arms and legs just wouldn't move. And I was trying to walk. I was so depressed, but I was just trying to move. And 
I just kept stopping. I couldn't actually move my body. The, the, I felt like there's heavy, 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 heavy weight on me. And I promised, I had promised myself already, I'm never going to try and kill myself ever again after the last few times. But those thoughts came back for the first time in like, I don't know, however long, five, six, seven years, did those thoughts come back? And I, and I was like, okay, what do I, like, I promised myself I'd never do this again, but I'm feeling like maybe I should just die. Like, I feel like it's just over. I get back to my apartment. I'm still feeling like this. And again, I started reading comments on a video or something and yeah, just more stuff about Jesus. And I was like, fine, all right, okay. And I just stand up, I'm alone in my apartment. I stand up and I put my hands up and I'm just like, okay, God, if you're real, like God, if you're real, just please show me. I need you right now, just please show me. And then I felt this spiritual wind come down into me and it came down through my head, down all the way down throughout my whole body into my toes. And I fell to my knees and like tears came instantly and crying. And like I felt God for the first time in my life. There was the Holy Spirit and it brought me to my knees crying. And I felt this, this like overwhelming sense of shame for all of the bad things I've done in my whole life. But at the same time, this overwhelming sense of love that just said, it's okay. Like, it's all okay now. Like, welcome home. Like, it's all okay now. I'm, here's my hand. Take my hand. And it will all be okay. And we'll move past all of this. And it was the most beautiful thing that I've ever felt in my life. And then I instantly after that, it's like this holy diamond light shield in the spirit just surrounded me. I couldn't see it physically, but I could, it was almost like I could see it spiritually, like in my imagination but in real life around me it's like this diamond holy shield around me like and I knew instantly that that was God's protection for the first time I instantly realized that all of these demonic forces could no longer get to me anymore that's what God was showing me that he's that he's like I'm protecting you the enemy is no longer getting you and I was like so thankful so thankful and then that from there that's started my journey with God, yeah. That's incredible. So after that happened, what were you prompted to do next? What was the next set of events that took place after that experience and yep. feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit? So the first thing I did was like, okay, I've got to read the Bible, right? <laughs> I was like, where do I start? And my name is Daniel, so I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the book of Daniel. So I'm just online and I'm like reading the book of Daniel, watching videos about it. And as I'm reading it, I, I, I've actually read bits of the Bible before when I was a kid or whatever. But when I was reading it this time, I'm like, wait, this is true. This is real. This is, And I feel like God was like with me just, just in my head, like, Yep. Yes, this is real. This is my word. This is true. This is everything you're reading. Every word is real. And I was like, wow, God. Like I'm talking to God while I'm reading. I'm like, wow, this is real. This is real. This is real. And I'm reading it online. And then I'm like, okay, I need to order a Bible. So I just ordered a Bible. I ordered a cross chain as well, like necklace as well. Because I was like, I don't know. That's what Christians do. I had no idea what I was doing. And then I decided um, I'll just throw everything out. So I went around my apartment you know, I had crazy stuff. Like I had demon summoning books. You know, I had like magic spell stuff. I had, you know, antichrist t-shirts and like demonic 
drawings that I had done and so I just took a couple of hours put it all together in a big pile in my room and luckily we had like government trash collection during that time so I just put it all out on the side of the road and just threw it all out everything everything I could find I feel like God was showing me this 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 and I was just throwing it all out and that was a huge change for me. And then I started researching churches around me and trying to get involved. But it was locked down, so we couldn't actually go to church. Uh, so I started watching sermons online. After the first sermon, I had a, a dream, a very intense dream from God that um, about the rapture and that my mom was going to be raptured with me. I don't know if it was prophetic or if it was a metaphorical dream from God, but yeah, it was very much like the rapture, whether it's coming soon or later, no one knows, but... It just sort of showed me an understanding of the urgency around being saved because no one knows when the rapture is going to be. And that prompted me to be like, okay, I need to go back to Brisbane to see my family and my friends and tell them and like get them saved. I had this urgency. I made my journey back to Brisbane, which was a, a crazy journey in itself. But I came back to my friends and family and I tried to explain everything to them like, hey, God's real, Jesus is real, I'm saved, I want you guys to be saved, you know, the world's crazy things are going to happen. Um, and people listened, but they didn't really take it in, I guess. They were just like, oh, okay, if that's what you believe, then I'm like, no, guys, you don't understand, like, you got to get saved. So it was a slow start for me, and nobody really understood, and my mum was still practicing witchcraft and Buddhism and all these different things, trying to find her own spirituality but was trying to trying to work with her on it over time i met victoria who's my wife now you should check out her video if you haven't seen it but um, we had known each other years and years ago but had lost touch and god brought us back together and randomly we found out that we'd both come to god at the same time so we started hanging out more and more and then it was pretty clear god was putting us together to get married and so we're on our journey together and you know, we, we tried a few churches. We went to many different churches and we were hanging out a lot and we met lots of different Christian friends and we're learning all these different doctrines, all these different versions, all these different denominations of Christianity, trying to figure out what was the most accurate and everybody has a case for why their denomination is the real one. One of the things I sort of fell into was uh, the view that the Holy Spirit gifts were more for the time of the apostles. That's something that I was thinking about. And I knew just firsthand how, how real demons were. So I was thinking, okay, casting out demons is real, but a lot of the things about healing and tongues and stuff, I just wasn't really sure about. Lots of videos on YouTube from both perspectives. And it wasn't until we went out evangelizing. So we'd go out on the street, you know, where all the nightclubs are on the weekend, holding Jesus signs, talking to people about Jesus and giving them our testimony and praying for them and giving them the gospel. And then we started seeing that some of the other guys that we're with who had been doing it a lot longer than us started doing healings and casting out demons. And um, one of the brothers, you know, he was casting out demons right in front of me and a light switch went off for me. And I was like, wow, looking back on my life, all these demonic experiences and me embracing demonic experiences, it made me think over the next few days, like started to remember, like like God was opening all these doors to memories that I had shut closed, I'd forgotten about. And I realized that I had actually been demon possessed 
and I was looking back at many moments of my life where I'd be speaking in a demonic tongue or I'd be trapped in the mirror like for hours just communicating with something that was there or you know seeing especially on drugs having these experiences where I know it's not me like I'd black out for hours and apparently I would have been on autopilot doing a whole bunch of things you know partying and talking to people making out with girls and like no memory of it whatsoever and um, people would say that I act different and I remember sometimes being really drunk and telling people that I am a demon and so all these like memories come came flooding back but over the next couple of days I was thinking about it and then eventually uh, God led me to that brother's house who, who was casting out the demon in front of me and I was just speaking to him about it hey I used to be demon possessed when I felt the Holy Spirit I felt protected and all those things stopped but can you just check I feel like this these demons have left scars or something like uh, there's a, a thing that goes around about how if you're a Christian you can't be demon possessed what we found out is that's not necessarily the case if you're demon possessed beforehand and you come to God you still need deliverance you still need those demons cast out of you and God will provide those people in your life and that pathway to make it happen when the when his perfect timing is ready. So what happened to me is I said, hey, can you just check me? He's like, yep, sure thing. So we stand up, he starts praying, Lord, can you feel Daniel with the Holy Spirit? And immediately I start vibrating, like vibrating like crazy. My whole body's shaking uncontrollably. I have no control, I'm feeling it. And he's like, yep, yeah, it's working. And he's like, yeah, there's something, there's something there. He starts calling out these demons and we start, he starts talking to them. And uh, they start coming out. At this point, I'm like a backseat driver in my own body. You know, there's these things have come to the surface and are using my body to talk to him. And it just escalated quickly. For the next hour and a half, I was like rolling around on the, on the ground like a snake, hissing, screaming. All these different demons that were coming out all had different, you know, personalities. So it's casting out these demons, you know, get out in the name of Jesus, out in the name of Jesus. And for the next hour and a half, yeah, it was, it was a wild, wild time. And then I felt like I was free. I was like, yes, these things are gone, they're free. I feel, you know, I started to feel more clear in the head. I started to feel more comfortable. I remember one of the demons told him that it had been there since I was in my mother's womb. That's how long these demons had, some of these demons had been in me. So I just felt free. But a few days later, we went and I prayed with uh, another brother and, and the same brother again. And uh, we're eating and something didn't feel right. I was like, guys, can you please check me again? I feel like maybe there's something left over. So the same thing happened. We prayed again. Bam, started vibrating. Holy Spirit comes again. Yeah, there's something still there. Big one, Leviathan. So the brothers are just casting these demons out, casting, casting, casting. Luckily, one of the brothers was fasting. It said, you know, Jesus said, some demons can only come out with prayer and fasting. And the demon actually called that out. Like, how dare you be fasting and screaming at him. This, this took hours, four or five hours to cast these demons out. And I had to repent for so many things. So many things. I had to be honest. I had to tell them things that I n thought I'd never tell anyone. But thankfully, no one's ever too far gone, right? And uh, yeah, it took five hours. And there was one demon that wouldn't leave. It was the spirit of Satan that had binded with my personality, with my soul. And they unbinded it, but it was still there. They couldn't get rid of it. What was that experience like? What did that feel like initially? Torment. Absolute torment. Like each demon that came out, I felt more free. My body temperature went down. My thoughts came through quicker my hearing came through quicker all these senses that were opening up but this one spirit of satan that was staying there it was binded with me so strongly it made me think that i was him so it was a scary experience because they're trying to cast it out and i feel like i'm being casted out like me daniel's being casted out 
that's the trick, the lie he was saying in my head while this war is raging on in my head. Yeah, that was that was terrifying experience, you know, and and they would use my body to say all kinds of things and scream and like I said, they all have different personalities, so they all have different actions that they were doing and but they were just praying, speaking in tongues over me and everything. That's also the moment where I realized how real tongues is because the demons could not stand hearing tongues being spoken over them. They, that's what they, they hated it so much. Why did they hate it so much? Because they couldn't understand it. I remember the spirit of Satan coming out saying, one day I will understand that language. I was like, no, you won't. I was just screaming every time someone starts speaking tongues, it was like, stop speaking that tongue, like screaming at him. So leading up to that last day of deliverance and the day of deliverance, what was that like? So praise the Lord, he put the right people in front of me at the time the right everything like God just set it up perfectly and so we fasted for a few more days and I remember just reading the Bible as much as possible I was reading um, I re read all the Psalms in one go <laughs> I felt like God was telling me just read all the Psalms because they're like really uplifting I could hear that this Satan in my head like stop reading stop reading and I was just like nah and it was like a fight and I was reading 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 all in one go it took me a few hours to read all the Psalms well the church that we go to now we, we didn't at the time but brothers were telling us to go there for a while but they hosted us to come and, and a lot of my friends came and a lot of other people that have been told to come and help with this final deliverance so we're in the church and it took about five six hours to cast out the spirit of satan and it was a wild time but it was good because there was a lot of people there who had never seen it before a lot of christians even our pastor had never actually casted out demons before it was a way of god showing people strengthening other people's faith about what's real what's what's happening still to this day because there are so many christians that either have just never seen this stuff before and so they they don't understand the gravity of it they don't understand that tongues healing casting out devils this is all stuff that's still happening today with the holy spirit um, but then there are some people who are actively trying to deny it you know they'll say anything they'll say that it's it's from demons and that just reminds me of that verse where like the Pharisees were calling out Jesus for casting out devils by Beelzebub, and, and he's like, how, what, how could I fight demons with demons? It doesn't make sense. So I want to encourage anyone who doesn't, who's never seen this stuff or believes that it was only for the apostles, pray to God and he will show you, he will show you in his perfect timing that this stuff is real and that as Christians, we are called to go out and do these things, not sit in the church and just read Bibles all day. We are called to go out and heal, spread the gospel, cast out demons these things are very very real and um, people need to be set free i needed to be set free and i felt it at, at, at the moment that i was fully set free of everything I, I had this vision of being in heaven and jesus welcoming me in and jesus was not what i expected he was not some hippie you know he was very strong authoritative loving commander king and there was all these other saints there waiting for me hugging me like welcome 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 it's just a little short vision, but it just showed me who Jesus really is and that he had saved me. We've come across since then many people who need to be delivered, people who are manifesting these demons and Christians, other people around them, bless them, but they don't know how to deal with it. And so the Lord's been leading these people to us and we've been able to help them cast out demons. But really it's the Holy Spirit working through us. It's not us doing it. It's just God's leading them to us. We're just doing the physical actions. The Holy Spirit's working through us. And since then we've seen... We've seen a lot of deliverance, healing, many speaking in tongues, but praise the Lord, I've received the gift of speaking in tongues. 
and um, yeah, our journey's been been building up a long way since then. Yeah, well, you want to lead uh, us through a prayer and pray for everyone who's watching this channel and pray to God to help others. That would be awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray. I pray that oh, this message, this testimony reaches people all around the world, Lord, and inspires them. All of those people who are yet to find the truth in you, Lord. And for any existing Christians who are struggling right now or trying to learn more, Lord, I pray you be with all of these people who see this tonight, Lord, and I pray that it inspires them to go out and share their testimony with other people, Lord. The power of testimonies is so strong, so strong. It's such a great way to lead people to the truth, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that people find the truth for any Christians out there who are lost or still seeking to fully understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you send the Holy Spirit to give them those gifts. The gift of tongues, the gift of healing, casting out demons. Lord, I pray that you put them in these positions to come and see just how strong and powerful you are and that you're still here with us, working with us, Lord. Just as Jesus commanded of us before he left for heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray you guide everyone watching this away from the sin that has a hold on their life. I break off any attacks from the enemy, any curses against them, any witchcraft, sorcery against them. In Jesus' mighty name, I break off. Lord, I pray you lead anyone who needs deliverance to deliverance in your perfect timing. Thank you so much, Lord, for everything you've done for us your grace, your mercy, your love, your support. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
thank God for this time of year, this season, to celebrate him, to celebrate his birth. Look what God did for us. We pay that no attention. All year long, we hyped up on some other stuff. This happened to me, that happened to me. Well, this is not what we hyped up on other stuff, but we're not walking by faith and not by sight. We're not walking in the spirit of God. We're walking according to what the flesh feel again. And so we must walk in the spirit. We must become spiritual people because God is a spiritual God. Now, that's if you have Jehovah, almighty God that has all power. Now, you may have some other God. I can't tell you about the other God. But the God that so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, that we'll believe on him, we won't perish. He's a spirit. And we must walk according to the spirit that he has given us. Because some people think they have the spirit of God, but they got some other spirit. Yeah, I was listening at this guy this morning from Australia. Yeah, he, he brought it all home if we was listening. Yeah, if we were listening, he brought it all home. Yeah, the girl before him, it, it's a, called a new wave, new age thing. And I've never seen so many pitiful women in my life. I've never seen so many women bow down to foolishness and think they really do. Oh, my goodness, I just can't, I can only pray. I can only pray and keep it moving. But if you got the Holy Ghost, it'll lead you in all things. And so I'm looking and I'm seeing that's not the case. That's what they say. That's not what God is agreeing to. Yeah, and we must, lips and heart must line up together and we must agree to what God is saying. So look, I have one more for you this morning. And uh, after this one, uh, this will be the ending of the testimonies. But we're going to hear her and she's, from another country, uh, to another country, if I'm not mistaken. And I go to this place in Nicaragua, and there's a huge Jesus statue, like massive. <laughs> and I remember just going, there it is again, this Jesus thing, this Christ thing. I still don't understand it, but I know it's important. I was learning how New Age practices can actually invite the enemy into our lives which was something that really shocked me to be honest at first I thought oh, I only ever had good intentions for healing so I could feel in that moment there was something within me that really didn't like the Holy Spirit and really didn't like the prayer and really did not like this constant talk of Jesus so thanks for having us here at Glow Church uh, to share your testimony why don't we just start with a bit of an intro on who you are, where you're from. Hi, my name is Mara. I am a mother of two. I am married. I currently live in Central America, but I was born in Austria, raised in Germany, and then spent a decade in Australia. My husband's Australian. And I teach people how to use essential oils, how to get away from chemicals, and how to live a healthy lifestyle, basically. Yes, and I'm a follower of Jesus. <laughs> so let's dig in to your early life, what was it like for you as a child growing up? Uh, did you have any spiritual experiences? Was there any Jesus? Um, what, what was the environment for you like growing up? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question that you're asking, was there any Jesus? And in a way, yes, I actually grew up right next to a big church. 
our kitchen window would look out onto a huge church in Germany. Um, and my grandmother had a cross hanging in her living room and we would go to church, however, not regularly at all. And I didn't experience faith as being lived. So there was no prayer before meals. There was no prayer if someone was there really was no prayer maybe there was but it wasn't visible however I do remember my grandmother when she would put me to bed she would often paint a cross on my forehead and that's something that's only recently come back to me after I found my way to Jesus other than that so that was more my grandmother and where I lived but in my day-to-day -day life there was no Jesus so both my parents are artists and they stepped away from their more religious upbringing. They basically gave me the choice. I remember being around, I think it was around eight or nine, and they asked me if I wanted to be baptized, if I wanted to learn about religion or about Christ and Christianity. And I remember thinking, what a strange question. That's not really, that's not my choice. And I remember in that moment feeling like I should choose not to because I didn't experience it lived in my family. My parents did their very best raising me, um, however they were very troubled themselves, especially my mother. So my parents split up when I was, I think I was nine, eight or nine, um, but even before then there were lots of issues in their marriage. My mother had huge mental health issues, she is bipolar by diagnosis now, knowing what I now know, I think there's much more going on than just that, but that was the diagnosis. So I would either experience her in euphoria, not sleeping, really kind of engrossed in her creative endeavors. She was a photographer, so there would be photos all over the floor and she would be playing music in the middle of the night and um, just a very, very ungrounded energy really in the home or I would experience her in the depths of depression, not being able to get out of bed, um, really in a lot of self-loathing and a lot of guilt and shame. And then there were little glimpses in between where I would experience her as who I think she truly is, but they were sort of getting shorter and shorter. So my experience growing up, especially after my parents split up when I was living just with my mother, was this roller coaster of uncertainty so it was really unsettling for me I remember having many sleepless nights many um, even out-of-body experiences like me lying in bed at night but all of a sudden seeing myself from the ceiling super strange and just being quite scared and quite unsettled um, and my father he once he had left the family he did the the very best he could to provide stability, but there, there was none. There was no stability. So really, when I look back on my childhood, there was a complete lack of stability. There wasn't a lack of love. I was very loved. I was cared for. I was never, um, in, in that sense, abused or anything like that. You know, praise God. Um, but there was a, a lack of nurturing and safety in the home, which, in hindsight, I know is how the enemy really got in into my life. I remember going through early education was was quite pleasant and then I sort of hit my teenage years and and it brought in a real sense of rebelliousness also my mother's mental health issues were ramping up and as I was growing up I wasn't kind of just 
I guess, taking it, I started to rebel against it and rebel against her as well. Um, when I was around 13, I started smoking marijuana. I started drinking. I started hanging out with people who were doing the same. Um, I then also remember having an episode of being really depressed because of my relationship with my mother and feeling very stuck in that um, and really alone in it. That was probably one of the most poignant feelings in my teenagehood, feeling alone. And I remember having suicidal thoughts and even getting to the point of getting very close to the window and looking down and contemplating ending my life. I never did. Praise the Lord once again. I, in hindsight, I see he had his hand over me in so many dicey situations. But that was my, those were my early years. And my mother eventually left. So when I was 13, she decided to move away very abruptly, um, which was a huge shock, a huge trauma for me. Um, my dad was then there and I moved in with him. Um, and he did the very best he could. He was, he brought more stability and he brought more, I guess, nurturing. But I was obviously lacking a mother in those crucial years of going from being a girl to being a woman. And I remember that left me feeling, I felt too old for my years. I remember kind of walking around and looking at the world in, in a very jaded way. I was very disappointed in the world. I also remember having thoughts of kind of being disappointed in God. Uh, in hindsight, I've kind of pinned that, that I blamed God for my circumstance. I blamed God for me being left without a mother, feeling alone and having, um, yeah, no stability in my life. So my smoking and my drinking continued. So that was from 13 onwards. Um, I eventually actually got caught up at the border in the Netherlands. Our car got stopped. My dad had to pick me up. The police caught us. We were trying to travel over the border and smoke weed and come back and um, yeah, got stopped. That luckily put a stop in, in me smoking weed because I had to obviously drop that, which was a blessing. And I remember then there was a bit of a shift. So in my sort of older teenagehood, I cleaned myself up more and I wanted to be good. I wanted to live a good life there. As I got older, I had this desire to be happy, to be well, to be stable, to live a joy-filled life, which I really hadn't for so many years previously. And in that time, I would associate with people who were much older than me because I felt like people my age couldn't understand me because I had gone through so many trials and they often hadn't. So I was associating with men who were way older than me. I remember being, I think I was 15 and I had a 20-something-year-old boyfriend for a while, which obviously was not helpful at all. It just kind of compounded my sense of feeling alone and feeling different and feeling like I don't belong. So, so let's talk about what you believed at the time. Like, what did you believe about the world? Did you have an understanding of the world from like a scientific perspective or a spiritual perspective? Like, what did you believe reality was? Um, I think I had an innate faith in God, and I actually think we all do. I think every child has that. But I remember a shift, and it was around 12, being about 12 years old. My mother actually gave me a book, and I don't remember the exact title, but it was something like Wishes to the Universe. 
and it was a book that described to simply think about the things that you wish for and to release them out into the universe and then for that to be returned back to you. So in hindsight, I experimented with manifestation and you know, communicating with the universe from a very early age onwards. I always knew there is something. There is something, there's a force that is greater than me, that is greater than all humans, but I didn't know what it was. I had no concept of what God was. No one ever shared the gospel with me. I didn't know about Jesus other than seeing him hanging on crosses on churches. I didn't know the significance of that. Um, and then very early on as well, I got interested in things like astrology. I remember actually sitting up at night looking at the stars. That was one of the things that would comfort me when things were tumultuous in the home. I would sit at my windowsill and I'd look at the stars. And then when I found out, I think it was around 15 or 16, I found out about astrology and supposedly the stars having meaning and us being able to figure things out with the stars, that really fascinated me. So I delved into that and I learned about different star signs and, um, you know, different whatever, all of that. I don't, I don't do that anymore, but I remember being fascinated and wanting to interact with something bigger than me, but not having a concept of what that is or what that looks like. Yeah. Once I had finished high school, I actually wanted to figure out why people are the way they are. And obviously this was my intention after growing up with a mother going through her struggles. I wanted to figure out what's the, what's the reason for that? What drives people to behave the way they behave? And I decided, okay, well, I'm going to have to study psychology because psychologists are the ones who look at the mind and who look at behavior. So I want to become one and I want to learn about human behavior. And always my intention in the background was I want to know what makes people happy. First of all, I wanted to be happy, but I also had a sense of I wanted to share that with others who were troubled like me because I could sense that I wasn't alone in my challenge and that there were lots of people going through challenges. So I moved into a different city to study psychology and that really sort of pulled the rug under my feet because once again I was in a situation with no stability, with no nurturing and I feel like it actually really triggered all my childhood wounding. Um, so my partying intensified in this different city. So I was studying really hard during the day and party really hard at night, which led me to burn out very quickly. And I recognized that. And so I was looking for ways to help myself. And I ended up at a yoga studio. And I remember having this first yoga class. I always used to love dance when I was younger. And yoga had similar elements from the movements and the breath. And that first yoga class gave me such a cathartic experience, such an experience of release that afterwards I was, I think I was hooked immediately to be honest because I felt like, wow, there is that release I'm looking for. Um, because I wasn't finding it in my psychology degree, degree. In fact, most of the people I studied with, even the tutors, even the professors, very clearly had their own issues. I remember one of our professors, she was visibly unwell. She was either anorexic or bulimic, but she was tiny, super thin. Um, 
so many of them didn't seem well. So I could already sense, oh, I'm not going to find my answers in this psychology degree because if this is working, all of these people should be well and they're not. Some of them were, but many weren't. So here I was then finding yoga and experiencing this sense of relief. And so I started practicing three, four, five times a week in that time when I was studying. Um, and it actually it did support me through these university years. And obviously yoga is a form of exercise, so you get fit and getting fit is always good. But I was going deeper into these more spiritual experiences. So in um, Shavasana on the mat or then in meditation. And it led me into being really interested in learning more about Hinduism, about the nature of reality, about um, Manifestation was sort of coming in at that point as well, which I had already dabbled in when I was younger. So I decided then after my psychology degree to become a yoga teacher. And I traveled to the US um, and I did an intensive um, two and a half months training with a very well-known big yoga teacher. Um, it was hot yoga, uh, very cultish. <laughs> there was literally a guru sitting on a throne. Um, interestingly enough, in hindsight, all of these allegations of sexual abuse came out about him. So even as I'm in this whole yoga world, I can see, I can see the cracks in the foundation. But I did continue down that path. I was teaching yoga for quite a few years. I became very interested in the, the Gnostics. I went to some, uh, here on the Gold Coast actually, some Gnostic teachings. They were talking about the Kabbalah, the Tree of Life. They were talking about, um, yeah, the nature of reality. They were talking about Ascended Masters. They were talking about all of the things that I wanted to know about because I wanted to be able to control my reality. That's what I wanted. I wanted to know how to make myself happy, strong, ideally powerful in a way, and how to create an amazing life. All at the same time, my private life, though, is falling apart and is in a mess. And I'm in a relationship that's not fulfilling. I begin cheating on my boyfriend with my boss at the time whilst practicing and teaching yoga. So it was almost like I was leading this double life, right? I'd be standing in the room teaching yoga, supposedly helping other people get well. And then I'd go home to my broken relationship and this looming affair, which was incredibly destructive in every way. I recognized these things weren't working, or at least not as well as I wanted them to, but I also didn't know what else to go for. So I just kept digging. I went into tarot cards. I kept going into astrology. I kept going to every meditation and breath work and, and yoga intensive that I could find only to sort of always end up in the same place emotionally, even though I wouldn't admit it. And most people who were around me at the time probably wouldn't be able to tell. But in the quiet moments, there was a deep emptiness inside of me and almost a, a desperation, a feeling of, I've tried all of this, I've done all of this, why am I still ending up in that same place? Yeah, and then I met my husband and we were both deeply in the new age. He was into um, going to psychic readings and using tarot cards and, and we lived like that for a while and then luckily eventually we experienced a, a really big shift. Yeah. There, there is a very real power behind a lot of these practices. As we know, it comes from a demonic power. Um, 
and I think a lot of the reason why people get so deep down these rabbit holes is because every now and then there's some validation that comes. There's a spiritual experience, there's an enlightenment or a, or a counterfeit um, a counterfeit born-again experience. Can, can you talk us through any of these experiences that may have validated these practices and kept you going for a while? Oh, there, there were many, to be honest. There were many. I would have phases where I would enjoy going to sessions. I would go to people to have session work, um, whether that was a past life regression or a psychic reading or a card reading. And um, I remember especially a couple of the regressions, I had this feeling of, oh, it all makes sense. Like, this is why um, I had to come into this family with my mother because I had this past life wounding and so I had to go through this suffering. Um, it would be very emotional experiences. There would be um, usually some kind of glimpse of truth or a glimpse of release. There usually would be tears and, and a cathartic emotional experience, but they would never last. Um, similar with yoga. I would often, because I would practice intensely, I would practice 10, 20 hours a week easy, sometimes three or four hours at a time. And so towards the end of that, when I would lie down on my mat, I would have these experiences of almost just melting into nothingness, melting into space. At the time, I thought I was very evolved and I would be experiencing the oneness with the universe. and looking back now I just experienced more dissociation I was even more fragmented and kind of just trying to run away from the pain that I was carrying as I was going deeper down all these different new age practices I myself became more quote-unquote psychic so I myself would be able to hear messages for others I would be able to see people's issues. I would usually be able to tell people about themselves, even though I knew nothing about them. Um, and at the time I thought, wow, you know, here I go. I'm, I'm becoming more empowered and with these psychic gifts, I can now help others. Now looking back, I realized that was demonic interaction and that demons can tell us things and that when we invite them into our lives, they will start giving us messages because the whole deception of the new age is that you have power you as the individual are the one who's powerful you are the one who creates your entire life you are the one who heals yourself and also then heals others um yeah which i now know to be not the truth yeah so one of the things that i noticed through all of the things that i've tried was that it was never ending so as soon as I had supposedly healed one part of my childhood trauma and I was done with the processing, which, is, which makes it very dysfunctional, right? So I would often um, have a healing or go to a course or do something and have these memories pop up and have this cathartic experience thinking I had healed something, thinking, okay, now I need to integrate that. But it was just that I was then very dysfunctional afterwards. <laughs> so I, I was more traumatized than before. And then the next thing would show up again. I had this one part of my life where I was really committed to healing 
lineage trauma. So the things that my parents have experienced and their parents and their parents. And I was doing this with this one particular teacher. Um, and even though some of these things felt like they were shifting something, I always ended up at this point of, oh, wow, this is endless. That I can spend the next few decades trying to heal my lineage and always ending up in this space of disempowerment, of feeling like, wow, this is an endless amount of work. I cannot heal everything that has ever happened to my lineage. So I'd always end up in the place of feeling unequipped, like a bit of a phony myself, trying to live this spiritual life, but still being really wounded underneath it all. There was this pattern in our life once I had met my husband and we started having children and we were still in the new age. We, we didn't dabble as deeply anymore. I was nowhere near as involved because I was a mum and that was really um, taking away a lot of that. But we had this one particular healer we would contact when we would encounter things in our life that felt too big for us. And we would contact him and we would share the situation with him and then he would do a healing session on us. And it was very interesting because in that healing session, um, it's actually called um, Dreamtime Healing, so it does come from Australia, supposedly. And he would talk to demonic forces and he would, in his way, try to cast these demonic forces out. And we could literally feel that within the session. We could feel the demonic forces. Sometimes they would even speak through us, which were interesting experiences at the time. And then supposedly he would cast them out. However, after a little period afterwards where we felt better and we felt a release and we felt like, oh yes, that really helped us and it worked, we would always end up either in the same place or in a place worse. And now learning about the word, knowing that it says if a demon is cast out, not by the right power, it just goes out and it gathers seven more and it comes back in. So it makes sense to me how these new age experiences, they give us a temporary high, but then they usually give us a lower low. And then we go searching for the next temporary high and we end up at another lower low. And I know so many people in the new age who are living this cycle and it's incredibly sad. And looking back, I recognized I was living that cycle and I was just searching for peace, searching for stability, searching for a good life, but I would always be on the roller coaster and I'd either be high or low or somewhere in between, but there was no lasting peace. So my husband and I, we were running a chiropractic center on the Gold Coast. Um, we were doing our best to serve our clients. He was working a lot. I was at home with two young children. I was staying at home. I did not want to give them into the the normal daycare system. I wanted them close. I was working from home as well, staying at home. He was working in the practice and we were slowly but surely burning out through that. So there was very little family time. He'd come home really run down and exhausted and then he'd leave again the next morning and I'd be at home with the children. And there was a growing feeling of, wow, is this it? Is this how we're gonna live life? And Eventually, it got to the point where we experienced a lot of difficulty in our business. We had a couple of people who were working for us leaving and taking patients with them and hence taking business. And that happened twice. Um, and our 
second born, our son, was about a year and a half where we both got to the point of feeling like we can't take it anymore. Something needs to change. And we eventually come to the choice to sell the practice and to leave Australia, to move overseas to my home country or where I grew up in Germany. So we do that. It's February 2020. We've packed our bags. We've rented out our house, given away our things, and we are in Germany and COVID hits and lockdowns hit. And this is literally six weeks into our life on the other side of the planet. And all of a sudden, we're sitting in lockdown. And both Adam and I, and I guess that's one of the blessings of our time in the new age, we were very sensitive to energy. We could sense energy, whether it was more light energy or sort of darker energy. And we felt that this whole response to COVID was very dark. And we both went into research mode. We tried to figure out what was going on. And um, it led us down a windy path where we would learn a lot about the forces of this world, the forces behind governments. We were learning about the Illuminati. We were learning about the Freemasons, learning about secret lodges. And really, we were learning about the satanic because that's where it would lead us every single time when we learn about the Freemasons and some of their rituals and some of their covenants. We were so shocked. We're like, wow, these people do blood oaths and give their life to Satan. Like, what is going on? It didn't make any sense to us. And so here we were sitting in lockdown on the other side of the earth, feeling really confused. And there was one day where I was driving in my car and I had all of these things running in my head and I just had this sense of brokenness come over me, noticing my own brokenness but also noticing the brokenness of the world and just being so sad. I was overcome with grief. And in that moment, in hindsight, I know it was a prayer, but I didn't know it at that moment. In that moment, I was just asking, I was like, what is the solution to this? This world is messed up. I feel messed up. What is the solution? And I was on a very lonely mountain road but I got overtaken by a truck, <laughs> which goes to show how slow I was driving. And on the back of that truck, in huge golden letters, it said, Christ. And I remember staring at that truck. I even tried to get my phone out and take a photo, but it, I couldn't because it was a very curvy road. But I was so taken aback. It's like, wow, here I was asking the question, what is the solution to all of this, my brokenness, the world's brokenness? And I read the word Christ, but I had no cognitive meaning for that. So I was just feeling this is a big moment. This is significant, but I don't understand it. But I was overcome with emotion and I remember crying a lot and it was big enough for me to keep it in my awareness. Um, I shortly after that found some worship music. Um, it was a very famous worship singer. Her name is Lauren, Lauren Daly, I think. And all of a sudden her music would make me cry and it would really touch me, whereas before it didn't. So I could feel things were changing within me, but I was very confused. The cool thing was that's when Christ started working in my life and he started giving me little moments, little crumbs, little moments of insight into him that were big enough to keep me interested. I came across an article after that that talked about how 
if we feel angry at God for our circumstances, we can shut him out of our lives. And I felt very convicted in that moment because I was taking back to my story as a teenager and how I did blame God for my circumstances and hence shut him out of my life. Um, and I could feel something was moving and changing and I was praying and I was asking and I became really hungry for God. I still didn't know the gospel though. I still didn't understand the role of Jesus but I, I could feel something was changing. And at the same time, I started being more repulsed by the New Age practices. I didn't want to use my tarot cards anymore. I didn't, didn't want to do any um, manifestation, ritual. None of that felt good anymore. It started feeling icky. I started getting bounced off it. Meanwhile, we're still in Germany. We're in lockdown. We're in COVID times. We decided to move from Germany to Austria in order to homeschool our daughter because in Germany you can't homeschool. So my daughter had to go to school with a mask on, with um, social distancing, really traumatic experience for her. We moved to Austria. We moved in with friends of ours. We live on a farm. It was a good experience, but also everyone was so traumatized from COVID. So there was drinking, people were smoking weed. It wasn't a great environment, um, but there was some kind of camaraderie. So. It was beautiful at the same time, but we eventually decide, okay, this is not right anymore. Like we're neither meant to be in Germany nor in Austria. We need to go back. We need to go back to Australia. So we pack our bags again. We put everything in shipping. We um, get ready to fly out and we receive an email that says your flights have been canceled due to COVID restrictions. Um, the government has decided to shut the borders again. You can't come in. You can rebook your flight for in four months time. So here we were basically homeless because we had given our apartment away. We were ready to fly out and that door was just slammed shut. But the interesting thing was before that, in this lead up to us leaving, I was praying and I was saying, God, if you want us to go back to Australia, let us go. And if you don't want us go, close the door. So at the same time, we were shocked in one way, but grateful in another because we felt like, okay, we're not supposed to go back right now. So this is when sort of my husband was joining me more in prayer. Before that, he was a little bit more just observing what I was going through. That was the time where we were really put to our knees because we didn't know where to go. We were going from holiday accommodation to holiday accommodation, which was very unsustainable. And so we prayed intently one night and we said, God, where do you want us to go? We don't know what to do. We've come to the end of ourselves. We need you. And literally within a day or two after that, things started moving. We had a friend show up at our door who said, wow, you guys are in such an incredible situation. What's your plan? Where are you going? And we said, we don't know. We know we need to go, but we don't know where. We're just praying and waiting. And he said, oh, I think I might know a good place. And he tells us about Nicaragua. He tells us that he has a friend who has moved to Nicaragua, that there's lots of expats, lots of families going there with a similar mindset of freedom. And he connects us with his friend who we speak to within a few hours of that meeting. And this woman invites me to come and stay with her in Nicaragua to, to just scout it out, to look at it. So I fly over there, and which was a very big experience. Um, but my husband couldn't go because of his visa. Our visa had run out for him in Germany. So I went and I go to this place in Nicaragua and I get there and there's a huge Jesus statue, like massive. <laughs> and I remember just going, there it is again. 
this Jesus thing, this Christ thing. I still don't understand it, but I know it's important. And um, I spend an incredible week in Nicaragua. I meet some wonderful people. I meet lots of Christians. And I go to the statue and I sit just sort of at the feet of Jesus, literally. And I ask and I go, I don't understand this. I don't understand you, but I know you're important. Please reveal yourself to me. Make it clear. And please tell me what you have for me and why I'm here. And all I got was an overwhelming sense of emotion. I cried and I perceived I have work for you. That's all I got. And I remember just in that moment going, I still don't understand this, but this is the most significant thing that's basically ever happened to me. So I fly back home. We moved to Nicaragua a couple of months later and we begin our life there. Um, at that point, our family was quite troubled because of us moving around so much. It had taken a toll. It had taken a toll on our marriage. It had taken a toll on our children who had to say goodbye to their friends over and over and over again. So there was a lot of turmoil in our family unit. There was quite a lot of fighting between me and my husband. Um, meanwhile, we're both feeling, yes, we're supposed to be here but we don't fully get it yet. And this is when I just start digging into this Jesus topic because I'm like, okay, at this point, I have nowhere else to turn. I've tried everything else. None of it has really worked. I'm still in a situation that feels beyond me. So I was on my knees and that's when I was able to invite him in. And really, like it says in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. He's there the whole time and he's just waiting for us to to open the door just a crack and I did and I started listening to lots of videos I started listening to testimonies mainly testimonies from people coming out of the new age and coming to Christ because that's where I was at and that's what I wanted to learn about and I also started listening to a few audiobooks one of them called Evidence That Demands a Verdict great audiobook from someone who was an atheist and then came to Christ all of that information brought me to the place of okay, I think I have to just lay my life down and give it to Christ and say, here I am, you, you have your will. It's no longer my will, it's your will. And I remember in, at one point, it was one night, everyone else had gone to sleep, I was alone, and that was the moment. And I decided, and I said, Lord, if you're real, you have my life. If you're real, please change me, because I can't change myself. Heal my heart take away the burden of trauma and let me be free. And the incredible thing was that from that moment on, a few things were removed straight away. Um, I no longer had a craving for cigarettes, which I had had for years, even though I had stopped smoking. Every now and again, I'd still be like, oh, I really want to smoke. That was gone in an instant. My, um, my deep-seated rage and anger was gone in an instant. And a sense of peace came over me that was the most beautiful and the most precious thing. And I felt like I was home. And I felt like I no longer had to search or struggle or fight or do anything. I was just home. And that was the, the beginning of my journey with Christ here. Yeah. So after that moment, um, you know, here I am still not really having any real education on Christ, still not really having been taught the gospel. 
or anything about the Bible. I'd never read the Bible. I had a whole lot of judgment about the Bible when I was in the New Age, but I had never read it. But what started happening after I had accepted Christ and laid down my life is Holy Spirit started showing me what sin was, why I needed repentance. I was being convicted daily of the things that I had done. Um, I started realizing that without repenting of the things that I had done, I couldn't draw closer to God. I was re- it was very palpable for me that it was standing between me and God that I had to repent of my lifestyle and Holy Spirit started showing me what sin was and that sin was everything that kept me away from Christ every rebelliousness where I thought I could do it in my own way and so over a series of weeks I started just repenting and yeah relieving myself it was so beautiful I was just being relieved and more and more joy was streaming into my life as a result of that So I spent many nights on my knees crying and repenting and praying, um, but not really knowing what I was doing. Beautifully, though, God placed me amongst many Christians. So then I was able to learn about the gospel and read the Bible and learn about Jesus and dispel some of the myths and some of the lies that I had taken on from the New Age, like Jesus just being another ascended master like all of the others Um, or the whole thing around Christ consciousness it's not a person it's a consciousness all of that I was praying for my husband a lot because I wanted him to join me in this journey I wanted his salvation I wanted for him to be with Christ and a few months later he he did he had a beautiful moment where he was just overcome by the spirit because obviously salvation is not something we do (laughs) it's something he does so there is his timing within that and I was just interceding with my prayer and and calling for Christ to come and come soon and then my husband joined me and the amazing thing was that as soon as he joined me a different level of peace started rippling through our family and started coming into our marriage and a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of friction was just taken away so miraculously things that we tried to heal in the new age for years were literally taken in an instant all by the power of Jesus and us opening our hearts to him and laying down our lives and laying down our own way yeah on that topic of how he changed our relationship how he changed our marriage so quickly there were many things that we had tried to work out when we were still in the new age we had joined a shamanic lineage for a little while we did something called de-armoring which is a sexual practice where you're basically trying to to break off any trauma that you have experienced and hence created an armor so it's very cultish there is a lot of um, naked people in one room all doing different sexual practices in order to free themselves and so we had gone to even those lengths in order to heal our marriage and to heal some of the things that were blocking us from really coming together and being one being united and once we came to Christ we realized no amount of work can do that because we are only made one when we join in the eyes of Christ when we join in that holy union and really we had defiled our union through all of the things we we tried to do but then 
once we had laid all of that down, he was able to come in and to take out all of the all of the things that were standing between us. So whether that was trauma from previous relationships, whether that was any insecurities, whether that was um, brokenheartedness. And I guess one of the biggest revelations for me on the topic of marriage was that before we had Christ, we were idolizing each other as husband and wife. So I would be looking to him for love and validation, he would be looking to me for that or for support. And once we had allowed Christ in, we both had someone else <laughs> to receive love and support and healing and nourishment from. And we realized that our marriage is so much better when we both look to Christ and he is our northern star, so to speak, and we get to just be joined through him. So I realized that marriage in the worldly sense or in the new age, it can't have peace because we look to each other as the solution and we are not because we are broken humans. Where did you go from there? How did your life continue to change and, and what were some of the big moments that um, really turned your life around? Yeah, I think the, the biggest immediate effect was that we had peace. We had peace. However, we also noticed there were still energies coming out and rearing their head every now and again that didn't feel like they were from God. And through my hunger for information and me looking at so many different videos and um, looking at testimonies, I came across the topic of deliverance. And deliverance was mentioned a lot, especially for people who had come out of the New Age and then had come to Christ. And I was learning how New Age practices can actually invite the enemy into our lives, which was something that really shocked me, to be honest. At first I thought, oh, I only ever had good intentions for healing, but it sounds like what I did really invited the devil to come and have a field day in my life. So as I was learning about deliverance, as I was learning and hearing testimonies from people who had gone through deliverance, something phenomenal started happening. I started coughing. And I would be looking at these videos and I would just cough and cough and cough. And that was about a year ago. And for a period of time, I had a cough for literally a couple of months. And once I started learning more about deliverance and that some of the symptoms of deliverance can be coughing or even vomiting or, you know, big releases, I could feel what was happening. And as I'm coughing, I had these like intense coughing fits. Literally emotions would come up or I would be shown a situation where I had done something like when I had um, committed, you know, a sin when I had um, done something that was against God, it would literally come up and I almost cough it out. And it was violent coughing, but I could tell, okay, something is moving and I am being delivered by the Holy Spirit, but I also felt like I wanted more. I wanted really specific deliverance from people who know what they were doing. And then in this beautiful, miraculous way, like only God can do it, we decided to travel back to Australia 
and our friends who are going to Glow Church were inviting us along to a deliverance day. And we get to the deliverance day and I can feel things stirring within me and I can see people coughing and starting to Funnily enough, it's called manifest, right? In the New Age, we call manifesting when we create what we want. In Christianity, when you manifest, it's not a good thing. It's when demons start to show and they start to show up. And so, sure enough, we're all coughing. My husband is coughing. I'm coughing. And we go through a very intense process of deliverance and literally being relieved of demons, which is something I never believed in, even though I had spiritual experiences, I still didn't believe in Satan, I didn't believe in the kingdom of dark, darkness, I didn't believe in demonic forces. Um, I was sort of like ignorantly just trying to compartmentalize. It all has to be good, it all has to be light when Satan counterfeits. God creates, Satan counterfeits. So, yeah. For the people who, who have never really experienced deliverance or witnessed manifestations, can can you dive a bit deeper into what that experience was like for you? How did the demons manifest in you? How did it feel coming out? How do you know, how can you separate that from like a natural experience or just like a, you know, an emotional experience? How did you know that this was specifically demons coming out of you? Mm. Well, what I, what I felt in that moment and in that room, because when there is a lot of prayer, and when there is strong intention, then the Holy Spirit is present. Yeah, And demons do not like the Holy Spirit, but they know him and they know Jesus. And when you read the word, you see that. You see that demons will, even in the word, say, Jesus, what have you got to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? So Satan knows God, obviously, and he, he also uses all of that. So I could feel in that moment there was something within me that really didn't like the Holy Spirit and really didn't like the prayer and really did not like this constant talk of Jesus. And that was interesting to me because my heart was already for Jesus, but yet there was something that was not. And I could feel this thing stirring and I could feel it moving. And then I was coughing, my husband was coughing, he actually started manifesting first and then Dan you came and prayed for him but for me I was just crying there was so much there was like a trembling inside of me and it had no there was no reason for that I had no reason to be scared when someone's talking about Jesus that's not supposed to scare us so there was no natural cause for me to feel that way and then once I was being prayed over I felt this something that was really immense and huge trying to stay within me and it brought me to my knees and I was crying there was snot running out of my nose it was not a glorious moment <laughs> but it was it was bigger than me and what I noticed was that once this something had left I was at complete peace there was such a such a sense of being made whole, being returned to a level of innocence that I felt like that I had lost very young, very early on. My husband had the same experience. We both, after that, just noticed such a difference in, it was so much easier to, to be with each other, to be with God, to praise. There was less resistance, less chaos. Satan is so sneaky and so good at counterfeiting. Um, it's an interesting story that if you work in a bank, 
and you, you get taught how to spot the counterfeit, the way you do that is you just look at the real thing again and again and again and again, and then eventually the, the not real thing will pop out. But if you haven't been taught that, you can't spot the counterfeit. So you or me, without the training, we wouldn't usually be able to spot it. And that's how it was for me in the new age. I didn't spot the counterfeit. So the counterfeit version of the true healing still has a similar cathartic element. So it can still bring up the tears and the emotion and all of that. The biggest difference that I noticed is that in the new age, it lifts you up as the person. You are still, you know, the master of your life. You are still the, the strong one, the good one. The, there is a way of playing to the ego that um, the counterfeit version usually does. So you will still feel somewhat bolstered up, whereas when we're truly convicted, we are so humbled. It, is the, it, it was the humblest moment of my life coming to Christ and laying it all down. And that, to me, was the difference. And the other difference was the lasting change. So the, the healing in the New Age, it would never last. I would always need more. It's a little bit like a junkie needing more. You know, one hit is not enough. Sure enough, a week or two or three or four later, you need another hit, you need another experience. Whereas with Christ, there is no need for a big experience. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will give you a big experience if it's on his terms, but there is no hunger. The hunger is satisfied. It's filled. I do want to speak to, to everyone who is in the New Age, but feeling that something's wrong, that something's not adding up and that they're not receiving the healing, the peace, the joy, the well-being that they're after. Um, I do want to speak to them and I want to just give them this encouragement to just give Christ a chance in your life. For most people in the New Age, we give everything else a chance but Christ. And that seems a bit unfair. <laughs> so if this is you and you are searching, just give Christ a chance and open your heart. Expect to be humbled. I think that was really helpful for me to, to know that in order to receive lasting peace, I need to be willing to lay everything else down and to come humbly to God, like it says in his word, unless we become like little children, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And little children are by nature somewhat humble because they know they are reliant on, on their parents for survival. And it takes a similar posture to really fully receive Christ. So if you're in the new age, just, just give, him, give him a chance. <laughs> So thank you so much again for uh, being bold to share your testimony and everything you've been through. Last thing to do is just to pray for everyone who's been watching. Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity today to be able to share my testimony. I thank you for giving me the strength to speak and to share. And I pray that whatever I have said that is true will remain in people's hearts and whatever is not of you is just cast aside. I pray that only you shine through. I pray that people who are ready for you, who are searching for you, who are yearning for you, 
that if they see this, if they hear this, that you move powerfully in their lives, that you send your Holy Spirit and you send your, yeah, your light, you send the true salvation and you show them all of the counterfeits in their life. You, you help them be repulsed by everything that is false and everything that is of the kingdom of darkness. And I pray that you show them your kingdom and that you adopt them into your family through the spirit of adoption and that you give them the healing and the peace and the well-being and the strength and the love and the joy that they are after and that only you can give. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. <laughs> When all foundations have been shaken When I'm left standing in the dark And all I feel is my heart breaking You're still raining, you're still God And when it feels all hope is Trust the victory of your cross. 
and fix my eyes upon you, Jesus.